Very well, then. Send in the next applicants. Sir, as an archer, I will be sure to make your dollars are well spent. If anything I see, I can strike with my arrow. I'm particularly good at taking down things that fly. Things that fly, Yes, those passenger pigeons have been soiling my rooftops again. Smithers, book this fellow to eradicate those pests immediately. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Sir, we Pegasus Knights are great for dealing with anybody who likes to run away or use magic. I can keep your plans clear of pests like that if you just hire me. Yes, exactly what was needed. That David Copperfield fellow has been on the premises for a week now, and the regular security can't seem to catch him. That will be your first job, and we can start eliminating all the magicians that infest the world. I'm a swordmaster. I'm faster than anybody else, and I never let my target leave alive. Hmm, maybe useful. Scissors! Schedule an inspection and let the agency know that we've been having problems with sharp blades appearing from the walls. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Mister, would you find my healing useful? We Claire's can do anything short of bringing the dead back to life, so I can cure any problems you've got. Scissors! Bring my good friend Theodore Roosevelt here. We can finally bring that sight to his eye. Ah, uh, sir, you should know that Theodore Roosevelt is, uh, indisposed for the past, uh, 80 years. Yeah, I suppose Thomas Edison isn't available either. Fine, and you can go heal sick children for the newspapers, I don't care. I'm a bard, sir. I can help you keep moving even after you've already tired with my wonderful music. Stones killed. Not sir, that wasn't. Do as I say! There are RPGs long forgotten beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack! Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. It is time for us to discuss a fairly large series that, for a long part of its history, did not come out in English. And when it finally did, it inspired some fever dedication and a lot of people who just didn't get it. The time has come to discuss Fire Emblem. And since this is a fairly expansive series, we're going to have to take it one at a time. The first game that came out in English just simply titled Fire Emblem, was released in November of 2003 in North America. According to Wiki and GameFAQs, although Anna Marie Neufeld says it came out later, and she may be onto something. And this first English Fire Emblem game, well, everyone seems to have played it around here, and for that purpose, I already mentioned that Anna Marie Neufeld is here. Say hi. Hello. But it's not just Anna Marie Neufeld. We also have Cassandra Ramos. Ramos, whichever. Hello. Pick your pronunciation and I'll go with it for the rest of the night. Ramos is a Spanish twist, but not the Spanish, so yes, Ramos. We also have Charles Reimer. Hello. And we have Nathan Schlothen. 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 See? See, it's catching. Being around Phil enough makes me have trouble with the names. Do you see how hard this is on me, people? 
But you know what the you know what the the flip side of that is? You too could inherit the legendary Zoltan. Hmm. Once you give signs of listening to the backtrack on a regular basis, you will be proven one way or another. At this point, the evidence is insufficient to make a call. And myself, eh, you probably know who I am, you people. And if you don't, um, I'm just so awesome that I don't need to go by name. Uh, my essence drifts through the air and in, inspires everyone to the knowledge of who I am. Or maybe it doesn't, but regardless, you, you know who I am if you're listening to the backtrack in a regular. So, Fire Emblem on Game Boy Advance. Go! Yay. Okay, well, this is actually probably my favorite of the series. Um, I know there's, you know, more mature ones and mechanics and everything, but this for, you know, the amount of length, material, and uh, character skills, I kind of do this by playing it now and then just for the fun. Based on the sheer amount of time I've played it, it would probably be my favorite. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I do like, I mean, all a lot of the Fire Emblems do have the whole, you know, uh, parallel story path kind of thing, you know, pick one character, go down this path. But I don't know, the I thought a, you know, Hector mode versus uh, Ellie Wood mode was much better done than those. Hmm. Just for the benefit of people who might not have an idea what we're talking about, I should give this a little bit of grounding. Fire Emblem is, in some ways, the prototypical Japanese tactical RPG in which you move a whole bunch of people around a map and kill your enemies and they try to do the same to you. And this particular Fire Emblem begins with the prologue of Lin, who is your lord for the first ten chapters and becomes a lord again, but you are not forced to deploy her most of the time before you can become Elawood or Hector. Everybody with me so far? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And since this is the first English game in the series, it was the introduction to a lot of people of the mechanics. And, well, the weapons triangle is fairly self-explanatory if you've dealt with it before. But if you haven't, maybe Anna wants to tell us about it. Uh, let's see if I remember. Axes beat lances beats swords beats axes? Yeah. Yay! Mm-hmm. <sighs> The other interesting mechanic that the that this uh, that well that the Fire Emblem series in general has is dun 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 permanent death. You're dead. And yes, everyone who plays these games has seen the very sad scenes of you watching your units die and having a couple of quick lines before they're dead. In some tragic cases, over. And over as you restart the mission, trying to keep them alive. Over oh, and yeah. over. Oh yeah. <laughs> I usually try to keep them all alive, but I had to go. I had to let go once or twice. No, little... I was particularly in in the first Fire Emblem, which I played the crap out of. I was so determined to have everybody live. So if somebody died, I reloaded. I was yeah, such funny. a paranoid gamer. Yeah, for me, that's been kind of like, I can just consider losing a character a losing condition, which has made the Fire Emblem games very, very hard for me at times. 
Right. Uh, people are like, I can people. finish this in 40 hours. It's like, what are you talking about? I think I've invested <laughs> like 70 hours in this thing. Yes, the official game clock may not accurately represent the total time you have spent with the game from restarts. <laughs> I think the only time I've let a character die is uh, in Shadow Dragon, but we'll get to the reason why later. Yeah, same here. Only Shadow Dragon is the only one where I've let a character die and kept it. That's well, I, I had a Particularly down. since, um, depending on what characters you have, is who you can recruit in the later chapters. And some yeah. of the people that you get in the later chapters are incredible. There's no way you'd want to miss them. Yeah, that's where I cheated. I made sure I, I, when I won in one uh, level in the the sequel to this game, I had to ultimately said, I'm sorry, I can't beat this chapter without this one character dying. Luckily, he was not useful for, at all in the requi- I'm recruiting anyone. Yeah, let's see. When I played it the very first time, I think I let Rebecca die just because I was a noob and didn't get it. And then eventually I tried again and realized, hey, Rebecca's a really good archer. And Oh, yeah. Yes, she is. And in this game, I have let a couple of people die on occasion. But especially when you get to the end of all of these games and you get uh, a quick bit of text about where each character went after the game is over. And with the people you let die, you don't get that. You get to see so-and-so perished during this battle. And that's just sad. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was particularly irritating because some of the better characters that I really liked, like I'm a huge fan of Archers and Pegasus Knights, but they're so wimpy. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, well, at even... first, anyway. Archers don't follow the usual weapons triangle, but they can easily kill pretty much anything that flies. So if you have put your Pegasus Knight near an archer, you may have cause to regret it in the very near future. Uh, yeah. In this particular game, I actually really didn't like the Pegasus Knights. I think the only one I liked was the one you only get in Hector's storyline. Like, uh, Florida, I just thought... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Their their personalities are obnoxious. But, I mean, they're such an integral unit to my strategy that I feel like... I feel like I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. Yeah, Pegasus Knights are generally quite awesome in yeah, basic you, utility. You tend to get Pegasus Knights fairly early, and you don't get Dragon Knights, the only other people who can fly until much later in the game. So yes. if you want to fly, you're going to have to use them. Now, yeah. was it this Fire Emblem, or was it Sealed Sword that you started being able to pick up people? Uh, this one. You can yeah. see okay. this one. So yeah, the I mean I mean that was Pegasus Knights were ridiculous at that. Because what you could do is um if you had someone who had gone to the front lines and taken a bunch of damage, you could go pick them up and then put them back down somewhere that was a little safer so that they'd have an opportunity to heal. Ridiculously useful. <laughs> they're also Resistance pretty good magic for fighting and, ages. <clears throat> yeah. And at least in mine tend to be very uh evasive, so you can easily dodge hits. Yeah, yeah, I've played the th- the whole thing many times, and I've used every Pegasus Knight I could most of the time, and I found them. Uh, Fiora, the one you get second, she wasn't as good as her sisters to me, but she was still good enough to warrant a place on the team. And I'll mention, there's also the fact that Pegasus Knights get triangle attack, which is always fun, <laughs> if hard to use. Yeah, it's kind of practical, I have to say. Yeah. 
Actually, since I mentioned mages, we should talk about them a little bit since they don't follow standard weapons. Yeah, they they no, but they have triangle. their own triangle. Yep, their own yep. magic yep. triangle. Animal, on dark, and light. Yep, this, light magic beats dark magic, dark magic beats anima magic, and anima magic beats light magic. I can't remember. Did this game also have a um, triangle and anima? Was that no? That's the GameCube one. No, that's only Radiant Dawn. I think that does that. Even yeah, uh, it takes, it takes Path of Radiance earlier do Fire Emblem games, but it's mostly Path of Radiance, Radiant Dawn, which have the uh, anima triangle. Yeah. Okay then. Um, I think other games had the anima triangle too, but they didn't like light or darkness was like an alternate one or something like that. Yeah. Okay then. Um, so the next one we got was sealed. Well, well, before we, go, before we get on to that, we have to talk about everyone's favorite thing from all of these games, because it's pretty common to all of them, the random number generator. <laughs> favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we, can we just skip it and pretend we talked about it? <laughs> no, Please. Anna. You know you spent a lot of time oh. thinking about it. All of us did. So come oh. on. Let's, let's talk about how the random number generator governs your level ups. No. Someone else could talk about it. I'm just too angry. I don't fully comprehend it, so don't ask me. All I know it's based no, on a certain percentage. Every stat goes up, you know, a level, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's about it. That's all I know. Oh, and the hand number generator also determines at the beginning of every battle the different percentages of X characters engaging in battle. Uh, right, I, and I mean, the problem is, is that... The way that this RNG works with level ups is you can literally get nothing on a level up. Yeah. Or you get everything. Or you can get everything. So it's just like ugh, getting uh, getting nothing was just so frustrating. Particularly on a character that didn't level up that often. It was just like, okay, it's my mage and, and or my cleric. They finally leveled up. They get Nothing! Woohoo! Or they get something useless, like in strength. <laughs> yep. Nathan, sounds like you have some words to say on this subject. Yeah, well, I probably have more words than Path of Radiance, where I really suffered with some characters on this, but yeah, every character gets a certain percent chance of leveling up. It's like, if you don't get the level up that turn, you don't get anything for it. It's not like there's, it boosts your chance in later level ups, except in Shadow Dragon, I think. But So... Sometimes just a character getting a bad level up isn't itself worthy of restarting the whole chip map because it can sometimes be that uh, bad and annoying. Uh, really, I've never had it that bad. Nah, sometimes. Get, if it's a really important character, it gets a really bad level, and they've been getting bad levels. Oh, yeah. still early in the map. Something like Elliewood getting bad levels. For instance, one of the lords I saw redubbed from Elliewood to Smellywood on Game Facts because a lot of people apparently had trouble with him. Oh, he can get screwed yeah. way too easily. Well, Lord, he might be uh, half decent. If... I don't know how it happened for me. It's, I mean, he and Lynn have the um of the game have uh, some of the bigger liabilities. I mean, Lynn can easily just not end up with any strength at all. Yeah. And um, Elliewood can just end up with um no, just very mediocre stats all around. I mean, he is overall the most rounded one. It's just it just might not go up high enough to make him useful. And then there's Hector, who just rocks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, could... Hector is almost certainly the best axe user I've ever found in a Fire Emblem game. <clears throat> He's pretty much yeah. the, your one good option for taking down all the spear-using generals in the game. Yeah. That's what I've seen. 
Well, I had really good luck with Dart, but that's the only other Axe user I use consistently. Yeah, Dart Dart turns out pretty good use most of the time. I guess if you got a really bad skill, then there's just no saving him, but yeah. Actually, since we're talking about these stats, we should probably give a quick explanation of what each stat does. Strength, well, that's pretty obvious. It determines how much damage you can do, or magic if you're a mage user. Uh Uh, Skill, that's a little less obvious. So, Charles, talk about skill for a second. Uh, In almost every battle, skill helps uh, determine, for the most part, the accuracy of your attack. It also... Kills also involved with the assassin characters when it comes to triggering their special ability silencer. Uh, really, abilities and um, skills don't come into play in, um, until you get to the console games of the prior generation and the next generation. Okay, there's skill. Nathan, I think you can talk about speed. Yeah, speed basically determines who moves first. It, also, it helps boost your evasion, but also if you get a, a character with some higher mud. Basically, the character with the higher speed attacks first. I, no, wait, never mind. Attacks no, twice. it doesn't. It twice, yeah, twice. If you have enough difference in speed, they attack twice. Yes. If you have enough speed, different speed, you can attack twice in turn, and it boosts evasion. I just keep mixing up on something else there. Sorry. And then there's uh, luck, which is the least self-explanatory, I would think. Does anyone know what it actually does? Because I was never really... Yeah, I do. I thought it was involved in criticals, like, you know, the higher it is, the less... Oh, no, it's involved... I know it's, it's, you defense, can find actually. an item, too, like, if, if, like hidden yeah, items on items. a map, that, too. Yeah, well, luck is actually basically critical... Basically, luck is your defense against critical attacks, and also it has half the luck stats that is both the attack rate and evasion. Uh, yeah, if you have a character with super low luck, like, uh, what's-his-face, Noel in uh, Sacred Stones, he starts with zero luck, and that means that everything can critical him. And criticals in Fire Emblem do triple damage, so you don't want to get hit with them. Especially as a mage. You still don't want him to get hit with criticals. <laughs> I mean... Especially um, since he has terrible crit- defense, too. Yeah, I mean, a critical's death for a mage. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen really... I mean, unless it's another magic user, it's pretty much death. Yeah, I saw a monster do a critical, and he sucked that badly. Uh, and yeah, defense is, again, pretty obvious, it, how much damage you get a reduction from when you're attacked. And resistance is the same thing for magic. But hit points are also governed by the random number generator. So if you have the random number generator not liking you for a while, your character may have a very tiny hit point total by the end. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And let's see, uh, another fun thing about Fire Emblem is the breakable weapons. Anna hasn't talked for a little while, but I'm sure she remembers them. Yeah, the the game basically didn't want you to pimp out all of your characters in the best weapons. So every weapon had a certain amount of hits or attacks that they could do. And beyond that, the weapon disappeared. Um, so you did have to stockpile a fair amount of weapons and there were there were armor there were weapon and armor shops inside the maps, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Right. So you know you could get them, you could get them between battles or on on scene. Um, but you you did have to make sure that that you had everybody properly equipped, and they would have enough charges in their current weapon to get through the map. 
Yeah. So, and what well, was it this one or the next one that you could combine together two that were reduced down into a full one? Wasn't this one? I, I know no, you could do that in Radiant one. Dawn. I don't remember if you could do that in Sacred Stones. Hmm. Okay. No, um... the, there. This is sort of the the advantage and disadvantage of the series. Is the games are sort of parallel to a fair extent, so they're they're easy to pick up and play once you've done one of them. But on the flip side, they also tend to blend together a little. Yeah, they all use the exact same really simple math. I mean, basically, damage you do is strength plus the weapon's damage minus the enemy's defense. That's it. No complications. No random the damage values. It was basically just, other than the 100% random number generator, which determines attack success, it's very, very predictable, which is a nice, good thing. Yeah, and accuracy does mean a lot in this game. I mean, I've only once really ever seen like something like 95% miss. And meanwhile, I've, it's very rare for anything below 50 to actually really become successful and viable. Um, yeah. I mean, if you really got above 80, it's probably going to hit. Yeah, that's kind of the way this, the game actually handles the random number generator. It doesn't use a true 100%. It actually runs 100% into chance twice and then averages. So it's actually a bit more of a bell curve. The actual percentages are a slight lie in the game. And it tends to favor the middle numbers. And yeah, there is no guarantee, even if you see 99% odds of hitting... You still might miss. Yeah, oh, it's only yeah, 100%. It all the time. <laughs> only 100%. Yes, everyone has horror stories of counting on that 97% chance to hit and it missed. Yeah, but it's, it's still relatively rare. I mean, I mean, I've played some other, uh, ser- you know, tactical series where, um, you know, 87 is pretty much a guaranteed miss. <laughs> I think it goes without saying what series that is. Hmm. Yeah, let's let's not go there right now because I think we have enough material to fill our time. Yeah. In. Let's see what other stuff. Well, well for we, the specifics oh, of this uh, game, mm-hmm. you know, the, the specifics of you know firearm, uh, you know, flaming sword or whatever it is. Um, I mean, this is the first one to come out in English, but was this the first one everyone played? Not for me. Uh, my first one was Path of Radiance, and going back to like the ones on the handhelds, I miss a lot of the mechanics from the consoles. A lot of them. Yeah. This was my so first one. Same yeah, time. my first one too. Okay. And, and like me, I said, I played this so much that I thumb th- the odd one out. <laughs> I got every no. support conversation in this game. That's how much oh, I wow. played it. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, be- since Cassandra hinted at it, and we'll cover it again once we get to Path the Radiance, we should mention how support conversations work in this game. Nathan, I think you know. Yeah, I know support conversations, but first I want to mention that I never got all the support conversations in this game because I must first admit, I never beat this game. I, I never got halfway through this game because it's annoyingly hard. <laughs> Fire Emblem games are not easy, and this is not my good one. Um, but yeah, support conversations. The, um, basically, if you have characters stand next to each other long enough to pull enough maps together and all that, then the option to support becomes available. If you support, they have a nice chat between the two characters in which they reveal their secrets, develop their relationship, and 
they get the slight bonus. So if they're standing within three squares of each other, you get this nice little bonus to their stats based off of some vague thing with their elemental attributes that is never properly explained in the games themselves. So you should really look at game facts for. Really. And yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah. Um, every character has a pre number of characters they can, you know, do this with. Usually the average is like four, maybe three. Um, the lords can support with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah the lords can. go to seven. Right, uh, and it's relatively intuitive who's going to be able to support who. You basically uh, look at who has an established relationship in the story already. Uh, and totally people of the opposite sex. <laughs> There's yeah. lots of coupling going on. Yes, you can do lots of matchmaking with your lords. Yes. Mm-hmm. The game's also very nice where it actually, uh, if you look at their you know, support section... It'll show you a picture of the ca- different characters they can support with once you have locked them into your team. So that's kind of helpful. You don't have to go, you know, hunting high and low, figuring out who supports who. Because the thing is, it can take a very long time for even uh, for character support. Because every character starts with a different percentage of completion. Characters that have already had a pretty well-established um, relationship, it could maybe take just a map or two to really, you know, unlock that support. Other characters, you can be struggling through the whole game just to get those A's. And of course, Unless you also you want, have a limit on the number you can get. Yeah, you can only have five support conversations. You need three to get an A rank, which is the highest. So you can only get one A rank and one B rank, or one A rank and two C ranks, or five C ranks if you. And so don't on, wanna. right? Yeah. Get an A rank. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to since we moved on before, and I was actually the reason I was going to you know, broad thing about this being the first is this is actually not my first uh, time at the Fire Emblem series. Um, I got in with the next game in line, uh, Sacred Stones. Well, before I, we get to that, I think let's just mention a few of the more memorable characters from this one, because again, it's pretty well known and the characters did make an impact. So I think everybody remembers Lin, right? Yes, yes. Lin, the Mongolian mm-hmm. swords ma- sword master, <laughs> mistress. Mm-hmm. Mistress? Yes. She rocks. Yeah, she actually had a promotion. I love that she got bows and was able to be a pretty much one woman army for the most part. I mean, she's definitely um, welcome because um, the you know I love the swordmaster class and you know the swordmasters in this game aren't quite up to par with some of the others in the series. So she kind of you know fills that niche. You made even better than you know they even kind of want you to use her so. At least, you know, they gave you a real good lord in this case. Yeah, and it's good that she's useful because she is one of the three lords, and if she dies, it's game over for you. you got to restart. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, she's definitely worth training because if... I mean, even Hector will have a hard time facing that dragon alone for the final boss, so very helpful having um, a good lord besides just Hector and Astos. Although Hector... Hector Spoilers! Can that's what we, we do, you know? Yeah. We, yeah, you fight a dragon at the end of this game. It always deals 37 damage. Which is very bad for me, because uh, my main guy taking him out with Lucius, and he had 38 HP. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that was a scary battle, but, I mean, Lucius did massive damage with the dark tome, no, with the light tome, I mean. Uh, actually, Lucius was probably my favorite, uh, best character in my first playthrough. That trap is amazing. Maybe it just says that I had a whole bunch of awesome people to help her along, but I trained Nino multiple times and found that 
once you get her going, she turns into something awesome. She's pretty much unstoppable for me. Oh, um, oh, Nino. Yeah. And Nino, pretty uninitiated yeah. Nino is a little girl who has been transparently not evil when she's been with a whole bunch of black fang assassins for the entirety of the game. And she will eventually join you late in the game at a very low level. But if you can pump her up, she turns into possibly the best mage in the game. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, in this game, I don't think Amos Magic is quite as great as um, Lion Dark. There's one where Lion Dark are actually really good with Lucius and Canis. Um, the other options for Amos, I mean, really, she's the best option for Animus, and it's really hard to pull that off at the end of the game. I mean, until then, you really only have Pent or Urk, who are both kind of, you know, different sizes. Priscilla. Of the Priscilla. The issue with me and Trevadors is, um, you know, when they become Valkyries is... Well, I'm still busy healing, so I don't really ever give him a chance to give him field experience. So it always like stays at like a D ranking and you know Animus Magic, which doesn't cut it. Yeah, uh, the weapon ranking system. I hate the weapon ranking system. <laughs> Sounds like you have some that thoughts up. there, Nathan. Go for well, it. Yeah, that's more the path of radiance. I never got Soren up to even B rank Wind Magic, even though I used him the entire game, kind of thing. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> And let's see, we, we touched on Ellawood. What were everybody's uh, experiences with their own personal Ellawood? How did he turn out? First time, yeah, he could have been a lot better. Second time, he was actually, my second playthrough, he was actually half decent. I was very surprised. <laughs> Got lucky somehow. Ditto. What about you, Anna? Do you, do you remember how your Ellawood was? Um, Pretty much garbage, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Even after promotion, when he hold, when he pulled the horse out of his pants, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was entertaining. But um, no, it's just I didn't I didn't feel like I connected with him, so I didn't use him as much. Well, yeah, I got I can't give Ellawood credit for being a well rounded character. He's pretty much your standard. Uh, I'm a very noble lord, and I'm going to do the right thing. Sort of character. Yeah, he kind of suffers yeah. from being kind of forced into being the main hero in a game where he's more or less being a clone of his own son because it's a prequel of the previous Fire Emblem and the previous Fire Emblem was one that he got development this one they not as much yeah. or something like that I have to say at least he's better than his son <laughs> yeah, we'll get to his son no I've heard anyway I've played that the sixth one let's see uh, and as for Hector he's not only a pretty good character pretty good ha huh? he's he's awesome on the maps but as a character, he has a more carefree attitude that makes him a lot more interesting to follow than Ella would. Yeah, so when you actually get to follow his own storyline, you find out that, in some regards, it's kind of a Stepford smile at times because he's not exactly, you know, all smiles and, you know, ignorance. He's got his own troubles going on in the background. He is, Most you know, like to his brother. Yeah, the, it's more like other, you know, unlike the usual JPG, you know, protagonist, he's not going to bother everyone else with his issues. Which is quite nice most of the time. Yeah, and let me let me give a quick mention. Hector mode happens after you've beaten Ellawood mode. Then you can play through the whole game with Hector. But it's very much a different game. There are a few battles that are completely different. And even though most of the battles are uh, ostensibly the same, the enemy placement and your placement are completely different. So it's not like playing the same thing again at all. Yeah, um, I actually I got bored over the winter break, uh, so I started playing um, again, um, and decided for you know fun 
um, doing a parallel play of both storylines, and it's Ooh. interesting to watch. You know, see, I choosing different characters, seeing how both teams kind of develop along the way. Sad thing is, I kind of got a, I had a roadblock on um, chapter, you know, the, the not chapter, the chapter with the first arena. Not because of the arena itself, it's more of a... The one where you're having to reach Cap- Pirate Captain Fargus in order to yeah. get the boat? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, hard. It's, it's been proving really difficult battle in Hector mode, thanks to uh, the, you know, Black Fangs show up, and they're really hard on that map. And the Pirates themselves are no, um, you know, no weakling in this one either. Because the thing is, yeah. the battle really doesn't start until you take an X step in a certain place, and then everyone's on your um, rear, like... There's no tomorrow, and you know this is all around the game, so it's not like you really have an army really ready to handle this kind of task um, quite proficiently. That battle is a side chapter that I did not reach the first time I played the game because I took too long finishing uh, the map that leads into it, and that that provides a platform to mention a bit about side chapters. You have to reach certain requirements in order to even find them, and if you do, then you'll find different characters, different items, and whole new maps. And in a game where there is a very finite amount of experience to gain, you usually want that. Yeah. This is yeah. actually, I think, the easiest one, one of the easiest maps to miss. Like, I know I missed this the first time I went through the game. I mean, I had to go find out later, oh, I missed a map, which is a real shame because this is one of the most important side quest maps because this is where you can get your dark magic user, Canis. I mean, well, I missed the, the first side- time through the game because I missed that map. So I kept yeah. thinking, why am I able to buy dark magic if nobody can use it? Yeah, that's why oh, I, I felt I managed to get that my first playthrough. I don't <laughs> I don't know how. You must have finished the map in, uh, I think it's 15 turns. That's the requirement. Which is unusual because they always take forever on those things. <laughs> <laughs> right, that map is a Fog of War map. Who wants to talk about Fog of War? Well, you can see five or so paces around you. Unless you're a thief, then I think it's like seven or something. Mm-hmm. Hey, Anna, what were your thoughts on Fog of War? I don't like it in any game. <laughs> <laughs> Succinct and effective. Thank you. Let's see. Covered support. Cover. You want to mention that, um, you know, the gamble that are arenas or... Yeah, you might as well take it for the for the arena battling because I do a lot of that. Yeah, um, most this is mostly for the handheld games, though it predates a little bit in the um, NES ones. Um, basically, if you have the guts and know what you're really doing, you can uh, gamble some money away to uh, pit your enemies, no, pit your characters against a random enemy of um, some you know generic type. The more money, the stronger the enemy. The weak, the lower the money, usually the weaker the enemy. Not always guaranteed. It really honestly comes up to what your character's weak to naturally anyway. Um, the thing about this is that there is no limit on the amount of arena abuse you can do. Yes. So, mm-hmm. There is no limit, only your sanity. <laughs> yeah. And yes, if you have someone die in the arena... Death. That character is dead, and you might have just wasted four or five hours in the arena... Yeah, it, it's, it's an art form to using the arena. I, I more or less learned it as an art form. Like, there's a certain percentage of money, like seven. I'll never take anything at or above seven fifty. I won't. I know which what it's trying to do to me. <laughs> 
I usually just go by like whatever type the enemy is being thrown at me and knowing what ca- what character I'm using. Like, okay, that's a you know that's a Mimerdin. I can't send uh, you know an axe user against it. Just turn off the game immediately. Turn off the game immediately before I go into that battle, <laughs> because even hitting beam it out help. Yeah, you can try to cancel out, but it's not a guaranteed. Yeah, yeah there's actually an the easy way, way to help you with this, which is you can actually exit by turning off the game after you see the opponent before the battle starts, and the game will allow you to go back and select your opponent again. Yeah, oh, that is actually a point interesting to um, mention. The game autosaves like no one's business. <laughs> so don't think, oh no, my character just died, I'll just turn off the game. No, 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 you have to manually reset the level, because if you turn on the game and then hit resume, it goes right back to that last five seconds, and you get to watch your character die all over again. Yep. Yeah, that's quite heart-wrenching. Although, yeah. auto-saving is pretty handy for a portable game. Yes, it is. It very much is. I appreciate that. And the other good thing is, if you do, you know, die and need to reset, you just bring up the menu, um, hit go to the main menu, and then you hit restart. I mean, you don't have to turn off your game at all just to reset the level, so at least they know, you know, not to bother you too much. Let's see. We've covered the weapons pretty much, but there are some classes that are a little more interesting than just the weapons they use, like uh, Swordmasters. Just because they use swords doesn't mean you automatically understand everything a Swordmaster can do, right, Anna? Oh, okay. Um, cheese? <laughs> Cassandra, you take it. Okay, Swordmasters. They are uh, very, they're very fast. They usually go, they usually go twice. Uh, they're also th- tend to be pretty weak, but very evasive. At least till later on. At first, they're, you know, they might be kind of puny. And they, you know, their HP is low. Their um, attack may be low, usually low, I believe. But they have a very high chance of critical hits. So they have a very, you know, they have a very excellent chance of just taking out an enemy, especially later on as their levels build, and hopefully our, you know, random number generator is fair to you. <laughs> they usually yeah. tend to be pretty awesome. Yeah, again, criticals in these games do triple damage, so that's usually enough to cement you winning over the enemy. Yeah. Um, sadly, though, the other triple, you know, the other critical hit-based classes aren't quite as reliable, particularly the Berserker. I don't know. Dart usually had good critical rates for me. And yeah, the Berserker is the Axeman version of a Swordmaster with no other weapons but a really high critical rate. Yeah. Sadly, his though, strength was so high that he usually didn't need a critical anyway. <laughs> no, honestly, all he needed was just hitting twice most of the time and just surviving. But, um, it, is, it is a similar concept, but not always guaranteed. Unless I'm mistaken, the Sniper also usually has a decent critical hit rate as well. I think it does, but it's not anything formal where you... Yeah, not as much as a Mimerdin or Swordmaster. Yeah, I think actually yeah, it's like made 10%, 15%. I mean, it's nothing, you know, critical, so to speak. <laughs> and let's see, we mentioned Pegasus Knights, and then I tangentially mentioned either Wyvern Knights or Dragon Knights, depending on which game you're playing, but how are they different from Pegasus Knights? Survivability. <laughs> yeah. Strength. They are little flying tanks of happiness. Unless there's magic. Well, yeah, but then they're boned. But beyond that, they're cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same with arrows. That's honestly, honestly, as long as you keep them away. Basically, keep them away from what, um, what would normally be something a Pegasus Knight would be easily, you know, go sent down and kill from a range. Keep a dragon rider away from them. 
And that's kind of the reason that, you know, Dragonites don't automatically um, outclass Pegasus Knights. They still have their own little niches. They're really good for if you get close enough to the melee enemies, you can sort of tempt them forward. So yeah. they're really good as bait. They're the bait and switch. Yeah, and Guga News is even if the bait um, aspect doesn't work perfectly, they'll survive it pretty well. Let's see. There's our flyers. We've mostly covered the archers, but there is a particular kind of archer, the nomadic trooper, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, in this particular game, you really only get one. I, I'm pretty sure it is only one. It's just Ralph in this game, correct? Yeah. Then again, yeah. Wrath, Wrath is pretty good in this game. Wrath is good. It's just um, a hassle to train him up since uh, he's not always really guaranteed. He kind of comes back, um, you know, sort of mid um, Elliewood storyline with his pretty yeah. low level some lens. Um, but if you do put that time into him, he's, uh, pro- I mean, Rebecca's pretty good, but he can, um, he can pretty easily outclass Rebecca just in overall utility, period. Yeah, the range you get from being mounted is very helpful. Plus, he can use swords after he promotes. That's always helpful. Mm, yes, it, though it's not usually practical. Eh, depends on what you use him for. I usually manage to get him up to a B rank in swords, so that shows you how much I oh. used him. Wow, that's impressive. I can interview, I never get him really about C. It's more of, oh, I need to use a sword right now kind of issue, so I just give him iron. I usually just let him shoot things um, in the face because he has good strength and good bow. You know, I think I usually, he, either him or Rebecca are always competing for the S bow. Yeah. And actually, that brings to mind, we haven't discussed how to promote characters in this game. Oh, God, those items. Uh... Yeah, I, I get, again, another mechanic I wish I missed from the console ones. Just, you know, classing automatically without the use of stupid weapons. Stupid weapons stupid so, um, if memory serves, you have to have an item. But was this the one that you also had to have a certain grade in your weapon skills? Or am I thinking of a different game? No, no, you don't need a certain grade in your weapon skills. Okay. You just need, you just need the level. correct level. Okay. Yeah, above level 10. Um, the issue in this game, though, is you need specific items to promote certain characters. Um, I believe there's Master Seals, but Master Seals don't work on everyone. Probably the biggest issue being Thief to Assassin. The only way you can only promote one Thief to an Assassin, and you get that on like an optional map at the end of the game. So yeah. good luck using an Assassin besides Jafar. And again, we haven't mentioned thieves yet because they're not really a fighting class most of the time. They're useful. Oh, they're they're definitely useful, but you don't stick a thief into the middle of a bunch of enemies and count on it to win. I've occasionally done that. Now and then. I've only done that for support conversation purposes. <laughs> well, and it depends. I mean, if if they're turning out decently enough, I'll jump into risk. Um, at least good for the first couple of chapters before you know they're left behind strength. That's what probably made me the most sad in Fire Emblem 6. Chad, you deserved yeah. more. <laughs> and, and another thing about promotion, you can gain a total of 40 levels if you have somebody who starts at level 1 unpromoted in this game. So just because you can promote at level 10 doesn't mean you don't. should. Yeah, don't, don't. Max them out if you can. It's not yeah. as if the RNG is going to go back and say that because it was unfair the first few levels, it's going to help you now. <laughs> uh no. 
So, I mean, I mean, occasionally there are occasions where, you know, you're just going to bite the bullet. I mean, if you have to use this character for this one map and you got the item laying around, like, let's say you really just don't use Pegasus Knights, but for this one level, it's going to be really helpful to have that one Pegasus Knight. And they are over, already, like, level 12 or something. It's probably not bad. I just throw that item on them just to, you know, make sure your strategy actually pulls it off. But most of the time, if you're actually using this character as a, you know, permanent party member, which is an important aspect of the game, do not try to use everyone from the yeah. start. You kind of want to know who you're going to be using. Yeah, trying to use everyone is Lunacy. a recipe for big headaches. Mm-hmm. And, dang it, the topic that I was going to go with, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, should we bring it, up the tactician, maybe? Yeah, why not? The tactician is unique to this game. Yeah, yeah it's just, so it is just unique to this game, because I was wondering, like, is this in other Fire Emblem games, in earlier ones? How no. Are they? No, it's not. I don't know why, I don't know why they did it for this particular game. Apparently, Because they wanted to make it a little easier for the North American audience? I guess, I mean... Yeah, apparently the tactician, uh, whatever element the tactician is, will boost the growth rates of every character who shares that element by 5%, which is not going to make or break you, but it might be helpful. I mean, bear in mind that one of the reasons this game was sort of trash is it has a 10-chapter tutorial. <laughs> True. Yeah. Oh, uh, did, uh, did anybody else... Cu- well, I, actually, Anna, you're the only, you play Bon Kaitos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else has? No. No. Uh, well, did, Anna, did, did it kind of... Like, when it talks to Tactician, did it kind of remind you of the Guardian Spirit? Like, you're sort of a, a semi-important character, but not really that vital to the plot? And yeah, they, you're they look at the screen and talk to you, and you're just like, "Wow!" And you're resp- and you're responding in kind, except right. the the whole sort of you're in the world but not of the world idea. Yeah, like yeah, that. yes, very similar idea. S- thematic, similar thematically. Oh yes, exactly. and kind of functionally too. So, so they're just like, "Am I a guardian spirit or something?" This is weird. No, no, not really. Well, no, I'm just I know it's not really, but I said that's what I felt like when I first played it. Like, yeah, like oh yeah, character. yeah, I can see why you would get that vibe for sure. Well, since we mentioned how the tactician sort of plays on the story, we might as well mention the overall story, which is not great literature, but it did the job. I think it's more. Um, I think the one thing that kind of bothers me with this storyline is, you know. Um, you know, it just tries to build. It doesn't really make sense if you played the, um, you know, sequel, because you kind of think, okay, these are a group of people who you know grew up conquering, you know, a really pathetic conspiracy, took down an evil dark mage, and dragons got involved somewhere along the line. It seems like this would be something you would have mentioned in the previous game. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it. It's more like I, I kind of wonder occasionally what they were thinking when making you know a prequel to Fire Emblem Six, and then they kind of came with a story that just doesn't make sense in the continuity. Because I think yeah. Hector would have mentioned, oh, dragons, we've dealt with those before. Well, maybe everyone, you know, they're all of almost 40 by the time this Fire Emblem Six <laughs> happens. That's really old in some JRPG terms. So clearly their memories have got to be going. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, I mean, they, shake, hmm? they shake their canes at you and say when, there was, when they were young, whippersnapper, death was even more permanent. 
Yeah, we'll get to that when we talk about Fire Emblem 6, because a lot of characters just get completely jilted in that game. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, your main adversary is named Nurgle, and he's an evil dark mage who's trying to bring dragons into the world. I'm, I'm trying to even remember what the hell his plot was. Yeah, he, um, wants, he, he wanted to bring him back so he could steal their life energy or quintessence and make himself the most powerful being in the world. Because he, he knew something about that because he was 500 years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you are able to kill him. 500-year-olds die pretty easily. Well, that's why you needed special weapons and whatnot. <laughs> you kick I him do. really hard and he falls over and breaks his hip. <laughs> well, luckily, you have your own 500-year-old to help you at that point. No, he was 1,000 years old. Oh, you're right, 1,000. Um, sorry. forgot he was just... Remember, uh, everybody on your side has to be bigger and badder. <laughs> Unless it's Zephyr. And there are a few somewhat memorable enemies. Uh, I liked Sonya, the wife. Well, Sonya is a morph, which is a special talent Nurgle possesses to just create things that look and act like people but aren't people. That's kind of messing with her too hard. (laughs) Yeah, she was a nice little, you know, B.I., you know, kind of. uh, She was definitely a fun villainess for the most part. And it was nice uh, if you really wanted to pursue her storyline with the extra story chapters. Yeah, the first time I played the game, I didn't get that extra chapter, so she just died off screen. But <laughs> if you get the extra chapter, she you get to kill her. And either way, the realization that she is a morph, because she is about the only morph who actually has a personality instead of acting like a blank slate, makes it somewhat poignant, you know, by the oh. standards of this game. I think the one thing that bothered me in this game, most of all in the plot, is the dangling storyline that is um, the Magic Circle guy. What's his name, you know? He just kind of pops up, and if you get near him and try to kill him, he just runs away. Yeah, for that, him... I don't think it's ever really resolved, is it? The extra chapters in Hector mode, the last one in particular resolves a fair amount about that guy, and... It's an interesting story, and of course I can't remember what it was right now, but okay. it turns out that he was the very first morph that Nurgle created, and something went wrong with him. So that Nurgle was constantly shoving him away, com- complaining that this was a failure, and though he never speaks, this thing actually wants you to kill it by the end, just to end its suffering. Okay, because I never got um. And that's actually the reason I really wanted to replay, um, you know, this game um, during the parallels. I wanted to get, uh, I think it's like Hector Chapter Nineteen XX. Yes, the side story. You can only get to this if you manage to take him down in one round of fighting in a chapter where you can only bring eight people. Oh, and here's the other thing: is you have to, I think, have Niles at a certain level. I mean, it, it's ridiculous yeah. to get this chapter. I mean, it I is, got it though. I know. Well, you played it enough times. It makes you more or less learn that Nurgle is the father of Ninian and Nils. Ah, okay. I think I remember reading that once. Yeah. Yeah. Since I just mentioned Ninian and Nils, we should talk briefly about who they are, since, according to some people, Ninian is the perfect candidate for Roy's mother. She is, because I don't see how else you can explain Roy getting that pathetic strength stat. (laughs) But yeah, they're both half-dragons who uh, wandered over from the dragon realm for some reason, and they're the dancers of the game. But 
Ninian actually has these handy rings, which make arena abuse insanely easy. If you boost your defense by 10, suddenly enemies that might destroy you are no threat at all. Mm. They're also good for just, you know, next new turn, keep fighting. Yep. (laughs) Makes shuttling people out of the arena a lot more efficient. Yes, it does. And... Yes, since I played this game so much, I should mention that I played both Elliwood and Hector hard modes. So that makes me officially crazy, most likely. That yeah, makes that's you, like, cool. masochistic. I've only played Path of the Radiance on hard mode. Well, Elliwood <laughs> hard Ginny. mode is really not that hard. All the game does is reduce the experience you get from the enemies, which is annoying, but it doesn't make things much harder. Hector Hard Mode is. I'm going to respectfully disagree on that one because even one point in stat can make a big difference. And aren't there usually more enemies than at higher levels? I didn't find that. I find myself getting swarmed with low level enemies that didn't yield much experience at all. It was just the later games. Hector Hard Mode, on the other hand, let's see here. Now, this is the hard mode where people you recruit as enemies. Their stats are improved because the enemy stats actually are going up in this game. And that can be helpful for somebody like Guy because suddenly he'll start with eight strength instead of six, and that can be very helpful. But it also means that this is, uh, yes, it's rather challenging. And Mm -hmm. I seem to recall that this spawned me uh, smashing my original Game Boy Advance. Uh, during oh. the, the the last battle where you're fighting, uh, what's her face? The female mage morph that spawns an enormous army. Uh, something happened to Heath. I got stupid or something. I don't remember what. And he died. And that just made me really, really, really mad. Mm. Again, uh, I don't remember the details probably because I've blocked them. This was not exactly a mature moment on my part, but it happened. Yikes. Well, and, oh yes, Marcus, everyone's favorite character. Well, at least he's usable in this game, I believe. I mean, he, the, I mean, does he, I don't think he penalizes you in this game just for using him. No, he, but he is somebody who is new to the game might mistakenly use Marcus for a lot of stuff, and that would not be wise. I mean... Honestly, um, the best way I've heard people to, um, say to utilize those characters is as a meat shield. Yeah, Take all their weapons for the first couple levels and just kind of, you know, let them, you know, absorb some hits while everyone else tries to kill them um, then kind of snipe. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan, yeah, I've done that often. <laughs> Sounds like Nathan has some Marcus memories. Oh, well, yeah, like my brother, when he first played the game, he used Marcus heavily. He did not finish that fight through. I wonder why. (laughs) That's basically how it went. Because, yeah, Marcus is promoted at the beginning of the game and none of your other characters are, so he will be getting five experience or so if he kills something, and someone else will get 30, 35. And Marcus's growths are not equal to most of the other characters you start with, so it's not the smartest move. He's still better than the original Jagan, though. That's not saying much. <laughs> yeah. Jagan's growths, I think I looked at them once. They were all 5 to 10%. And his starting stats suck for a guy who actually starts as a paladin. How did he get promoted in the first place? Don't know. It's a mystery. Okay, is there anything else about this first one that everybody, somebody is panting at the bit to say? Nine. 
think we can move on. But I mean, at the same time, a lot of the stuff that we've explained for the first game, we can Skip. carry on right. to the next ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really, the... Because, I mean, really, what's the difference between uh, Fire Emblem, Sealed Sword, and Sacred Stones? The class yeah. has uh, changed. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then being able to move on the map, being able to move on the map. Um, the biggest there thing I can go. think of is actually the, the biggest thing I can think of is actually if I actually use the main character Lord as a storage thing, so you don't need the merchant guy, which is nice. Yeah, Merlinus in this game is nice because he doesn't take up a character slot and he lets you store a hundred extra items. That's cool. If you protect him. Yeah. yeah. I usually didn't have a problem with that. Most enemies uh, tended to go after my characters instead of him if they have the opportunity. He was also yeah. oddly dodgy. I don't understand how he did that if he was in a tent. Neither do I. <laughs> I never thought tents were that mobile, but apparently they are. And... Okay, I guess that means we can move on to Fire Emblem the Sacred Stones, which was also on Game Boy Advance and came out in North America on May 23rd, 2005, according to the ever-reliable Wikipedia. And this... I seem to recall. Was this the one that it got announced and delayed and announced and delayed? I remember that one year. I'm going I think crazy. it was Path of Radiance. I think it was Path of Radiance. Might have been. I couldn't tell you. I was in Europe most of 2005, so I wasn't paying much attention to it. <laughs> well, fine then, Mr. Hoity Toity. I'll just be that way, thank you. <laughs> this is my first uh, Fire Emblem. Um, my cousin, who's kind of the one that got me into um, a lot of the RPGs I play nowadays, uh, had it on hand when he came to visit me. So, you know, popped it in, played it around. We traded some games for, um, you know, a couple of months, and I got to play this game. I don't think I beat it that first time, but, you know, a couple of years later, I found the game store and actually bought my own copy. I, I have to admit, the class system is quite fun to try, you know, figure out which characters are best at what. Yeah, this is the game where you have a choice as to what your characters promote into. Mm-hmm. And, and nice those classes called. they can promote into are brand new. Sorry, Nathan. And unique to this game by the looks of it. Go for it, Nathan. Uh, good for what? Oh, never mind. I'll just take it to a subject where you where you can talk at length, such as uh, well, the assassin versus the rogue. We've seen the assassin; it has a chance of instantly killing something, but the rogue is sort of I don't know more of. The thief, if it actually promoted and kept stealing. Yeah. At the same time, I don't know. I've never been a huge, you know, user of the um, steal move. I know it's good in one game, but um, you'll get to that later. Godly. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, for the most part, whenever going that, you know, in this game, I almost always chose the assassin over the rogue because that extra little killing power from the assassin made him a bit more useful than someone that could steal one item or two here and there. Fair enough. I think I experimented with a few things in here, particularly with the three trainee characters who start as something completely different, undetermined, and you can promote them three times. (laughs) Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, I suffered problems since Amelia's defense never seemed to go up, even though I was taking her down the role of a knight, which kind of sucked, but... Other than that, they were really great for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, particularly useful because um, 
your dark, you know, your dark magic user in this game, Noel, <laughs> as mentioned, is fragile as all get out. So having everyone there to, you know, pick up the slack is very useful. Yes, a magic user with zero luck and two defense to start and bad growths in both of them is not going to live very long. But if you've ever been curious about what it looks like to have a skeleton get a critical on your character, you can see it when you put Noel out. <laughs> oh, that's actually another kind of interesting thing um, just for the setting. is very um, – this is one of the few where you know you have actual kind of random encounters and monsters. Usually you, – I mean you might have faced occasional dragons or shape-shifting people, but this one is you know, straight up – Skeletons and you know hellhounds, you know your Giant traditional zombie something else. It also has the, you know not only just random build counters, but you also have a couple of dungeons you can enter in and exit multiple times. This is the one of the few times where outside of the arena you can actually grind. Yeah, this is the only game in the ones that have come out in English where if yeah. you want to, you can just keep fighting until everyone is at max level. Not advised. It'd take a long time, though, but yeah, you could. Yeah. Well, it's it's it would not, be easy, but it could be. <laughs> it's it's also not, I, I, I found one reason that's not quite advised is um, you don't really get money, or at least yeah, any that, good money for doing this, and you'll waste your weapons far sooner than you actually get good experience from this. Yeah, that's I learned. Thing. Yeah, I learned that pretty quickly. <laughs> it's like you really. It's like I was hoping to be a good way to get money, but no, it's quite the opposite. It just drains your money away. So if you play fight it too long, you and there's a chance you can get a good, a, a very lucky random chance of getting good items like rune swords. But there's also the chance to just use up all of your weapons and money, and you'll won't be able to get it back and won't be able to continue the main game. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess I, my characters were just killing things too rapidly for me to worry about weapon degradation but i never had that problem to a great degree i guess it's um it's more of a something that's used for at the end of the game when everyone's a killing machine because this game produces a bunch of killing machines um yeah almost all of your characters can turn into something at the very least good and most of them turn into awesome units who max out all their stats uh-huh which is kind of nice because they did this is one with an actual post game so you know you can actually make use of it so i guess they you know were kind of nice doing that with us Oh, and the character you start with who's promoted, Seth, he's actually a good character. He's not a waste of experience. Yes. He's not quite a Jaken. Uh, I don't know how you compare to Titania, who's kind of modeled after him, but they're actually usable characters in that role rather than, you know, <laughs> Jaken. Or... Yeah. Because... <laughs> the actual kind of Jaken-like character, I think they more or less killed off. Uh... Yep, he goes evil, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Yay, killing Jagan. Let's see. Oh, yeah, the, the difference between paladins and great knights in this game. And I didn't even talk about paladins last time. So, Anna, what's a paladin in Fire Emblem? Oh, she's she's just raring to go on that. Cassandra, you're up. Uh, they're a promoted knight. Uh, they're probably a cavalier, they're called in the uh, Game Boy Advance games. They're a horseback unit, but a very like an upgraded one. Very uh, decent stats all around, and a great movement because they're on horseback. <laughs> oh, and they have. And yeah, they can also use, uh, yeah, they usually use uh, both swords and um, and uh, lances, or even or axes, or all, it's all three in um, 
the first uh, in Fire Emblem, the you know seventh one. I I know in uh, Path of Radiance, it's usually just two of them. Yeah, I remember in Sacred Stones. In, in Sacred Stones, paladins can only use swords and lances, but they have higher move range, and great knights can use the axes too, in exchange for a slightly lowered move range. That's as I recall it. Yeah, yeah, great knights are kind of the halfway point between the general, the heavy armor generals, and the high mobility paladins. Well, bother me. I forgot to mention generals too. Nathan, take them. Generals are defensive tanks. They're just fortresses. They take no damage from physical attacks, practically. And in some games, I think, including Secret Stones, they have just a chance of just negating anything that hits them. And basically, mm-hmm. the one rule, yeah. the, the one exception to the rule that you don't put enemy, units in the line of fire against enemies. You just use them to like choke off, block off choke points and be, become your defenses. Which are strange. Yeah, they're, they're hard to train. Or generals aren't hard to train. It's hard to train a knight to become a good general. Because of yeah, their, but, you know, slowness. Yeah, they don't usually get double. Travel. Yeah, they, they don't usually attack twice. So you have to make, make yeah. sure they finish off an enemy, but somebody's already chipped away at. Otherwise, I mean, like even um, characters like, uh, I mean, even some of the best knights are almost a nightmare to try to train. It's, it's, and the arena doesn't help. Gilliam and Sacred Stones, I remember, have something the worst speed I'd ever seen. It start about three when it starts, and Almost there. Mhm. Though on a second playthrough, he somehow got un- is un- unusually speedy for a knight. That was weird. Well, let's see. Uh, well, we have two lords in this game, and I thought that both of them were pretty darn good. Erica is the one you start with. Who remembers her being pretty good? Um, I mean, she's more or less the same as um, you know, her predecessor Ellie would. Um. I'd say the um, one benefit is she promotes it a little bit earlier in the storyline, which makes it a, that promotion a bit more useful. Um, I still say she's fairly inferior compared to Ephraim, who is much more used for overall for a you know fighter. Yeah, he's a lord who starts using lances. That's pretty much unheard of in this series. Yeah, it's bizarre mm-hmm. in Fire Emblem. And he's good. You don't want to leave him in the dust because... He's definitely worth having on your team, even if you weren't forced to. You can support with good characters, too, which is nice. Yeah, I, I maxed out the supports for everyone in this game, too, but it's a lot easier when you can just walk into a random battle and get some supports and then reset yeah, the game just, without saving. Yep. Unlike the previous Fire Emblem, I didn't beat this one either, but at least in this one, I got a ton of A-rank supports built up, which is kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I seem to remember relationships being a lot easier to develop in this one. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I thought it would be kind of annoying to ha- they have to actually stand next to each other in the in the handhelds because I was used to just in, for Path of Radiance they just have to be in the same cha- same chapter, the same battle, and that counted. But here it's just like, okay, this isn't too bad. Then I go to you know Fire Emblem, just like this is annoying. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been good at getting them. Well, at least in this one, you can just have the characters sit together on the same map, just keep churning through turns after turn after turn before you seize the throne when you're done in order to build them up. So it's actually a lot easier than it seems, mm-hmm. which is nice. Let's see. The The overall plot of this one, again, is not great literature, even by game standards, but it got the job done. Uh, Erica and Ephraim's... Childhood friend Lion has been uh, tampering with forces he really shouldn't have, and even though he's a really nice guy, sorry, the forces of evil have taken you over. 
you're gonna have to die that that's the main gist of it and see how see how fascinating that was yeah but again the the individual characters have a lot of nifty moments that make things interesting yep as usual half the fun of it's in the support conversations which are quite good in this game yeah, even the few people who kind of suck have interesting support conversations. <clears throat> well, probably hope this is one of the more eccentric casts in the series. Um, particularly, yeah. I mean, I mean, no, I just, one of the I main, remember, sorry. Well, I mean, one of the main, you know, kind of, you know, protagonists, Larachel, La is absolutely insane. Oh, I loved her. She, yes, Larachel, however her name is pronounced. She's just the most carefree, blissful defender of justice and destroyer of evil you're ever going to find. Her her mission in life is to kill everything that's evil, and she doesn't care that doing that single-handedly is kind of impractical. She's going to do it anyway. Particularly when she's a healer. Oh, yeah. Eh, really, I, she's got Dol's Dol blob with her. Probably just as crazy as she is. Yes, he's... I seem to remember him being like Gimli only with several layers of psychosis added. Yeah. A few more feet of height. But... <laughs> and then there's Renak, the guy who starts with them. And if you, anybody except for La Rochelle tries to, tries to recruit him later, he'll charge you quite a bit of gold, but she will force him to join because this is his job. He must do it. And you're going to come with me because it's your job. Yeah. Sadly, though, I have to admit, uh, as interesting characters as Lachelle's team is, she's really the only one worth keeping. I say I don't think Dorzo or um, Renak were very useful, you know, characters. There's much better options available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you already had a thief by that point, and Dozla is uh, well, he's he's a promoted berserker with mediocre stats. So yeah, no point. Ross can easily outclass him in no time. Well, again, Ross is a trainee. You have a whole 50 levels to go with him. And and you can turn him into a whole bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Mm-hmm. And Amelia, another trainee who can... I think I turned her into a general once, which was really weird to turn this little girl who can barely move her spear when you first get her into a clanking general that throws spears and axes all over the place. But <laughs> she was good. As pretty much anything. And then the, the third trainee is Ewan, who starts as a mage, and, well, you can take him down any branch of mage calendar you want. Yeah. Uh, can we, I think can he'd be a light mage, though. Yeah. No, no, he can become, a, I think he can become an animus and a dark mage and a light mage, I think. I don't, I'm pretty sure he can't become anything really healing primary. Yeah, because yeah, in this game... You know, a, sorry. He can only become a light mage if you become the sage which is both light magic and anus magic. I oh, think. you're right. Yeah, the weapons that, character, that classes can use are a little different in this game than some others. Uh, dark magic users can use anima magic which they promote. Or you can turn them into, what was it, shamans? Uh, summoners. summoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, summoners. Which is a very fun class. Yeah, it's like it's one of the one thing I wish they carried forward. Great Sorry, Nathan, you were saying about the summoner class. Oh, just it's the one class I wish they kind of carried forward into future games, but didn't. It's really annoying. 
Well, there's one summoner in Radiant Dawn, though. <laughs> he's el- he's not recruitable, of course. Of course not. <laughs> he's evil. Yes, exactly. Let's no, see. Is there anything else about Sacred Stones that bears mentioning? Um, I won't um, say, you know, probably one of my favorite characters in the game was just loot. Highly. Oh, her. <laughs> yeah, she was all, She was hilarious. Yes, loot was. Um, hilarious. I think was I dig the story more in Sacred Stones than I did in the fire in Fire Emblem, just because at that point we had a little more background. And this is uh, definitely more. I mean, for a one-shot world in the series, at least had a kind of interesting little background going story going on. Yeah, the the quick gist of the story that I gave is the overall narrative, but. The strength of Fire Emblem usually isn't its overall narrative. It's the little side tangents and things that the characters do along the way, and those were very strong in this game. And it is quite impressive, given the fact that this is one. This is one of. I think this is actually the only world in the series, uh, Magdrib, that I don't think we ever revisit, and we probably never nope. will. Yeah. No, it, it's it's just a one-off. Not impossible, I suppose, but... And Intelligent Systems seems to be into remaking them instead of going off with new ones lately, so not anytime soon. Well, I guess that means we can go to Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, which was released on the GameCube in North America on October 17, 2005. Again, according to the er, the oh-so-reliable Wikipedia. And this one, I am going to just stand back and let everybody have at because... The only GameCube RPG I ever played was due to the generosity of somebody on my dorm floor who let me play all of Skies of Arcadia on his system, but he didn't own Fire Emblem, so I have nothing to say. Well, I think the thing that we may want to mention before we get into too many details is basically there were like four Fire Emblems in a row on handhelds. It was like Nintendo, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Super Nintendo, four handhelds, and then this was the first one back on a home system again. Well, three so on handheld, I think, I think. Yeah, three okay. on the handheld. Sorry. There it, was a fair amount of expectation higher. going into this one because, hey, it's not a handheld anymore. And it was the first uh, console one we got in North America. So I only played a very small amount of this. Michael was particularly enthralled with it at one point when I went to visit him. But that's my extent. But Cassandra, you're, you really dig this one, right? Oh, yes. This was not only my first Fire Emblem, it was also my first strategy RPG. And it was like an excellent, to me, this is an excellent way to get introduced into the series. I, I just, I missed so many of the mechanics in the handheld games. I, you know, I, lo- I end up loving the story, the battle mechanics, the, uh, the uh, support conversations, just all of it. I played it seven times through. I don't wow. have all of the. I don't have all the conversations to fight that, but yeah, seven times through. My last one was on hard mode. I'll probably do another one later this year because it's sort of become a yearly thing for me. That's impressive. I mean, I, I, some of the like some of the uh, mechanics in uh, like Radiant Dawn are somewhat better, but in terms of everything, Path of Radiance is probably my favorite Fire Emblem. Uh, yeah, it's much better balanced. Yeah, yeah. It, Path of Radiance is also my favorite so far. It was the first one I beat, and I, I, I couldn't beat the two on the Game Boy Advance. I just couldn't stick with them quite long enough through their trials and difficulties. But Path of Radiance, I did, and it was really fun. Maybe because it had an easy mode that helps. Yeah, <laughs> I am not good at Fire Emblem games. I got better, but I didn't start very good. 
Yeah. It's I think really like the most important aspect of this game in actual gameplay is, uh, you know, it kind of revives the um, original console systems of, you know, the concept of skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, we oh, saw a few of them yeah. on the handheld games, but no, everyone has a skill now. Yeah, I miss yeah. those in the handhelds. I miss those too. Yeah, skills rock. They, they could, they're kind of brought back after being missing since like Fire Emblem Four, I think. And they're just, five. That's so much more. I'm pretty sure they're in four. And yeah, I don't know if they're in five. But I know they're in four. And just yeah, they're, they are. Yeah, they're just great things that they had real customizability and massive differences to characters with just cool abilities like vantage and which lets you i think that's one that's lets you move ahead or yeah, yeah, yeah let's, no let's you go what. first even if you're, you're attacked mm-hmm. great on a person with critical hit yep yep um also just crazy stuff like you know oh the occult skills which just let characters do crazy things whenever they felt like it's just broke i can half Oh yes, either. You also had a uh, soul for the um, uh, the uh, the paladins and uh, Luna for the uh, generals. The snipers got dead eye, I think. Yes, dead eye. Mages got flare, was it? Yeah, it it yeah, lowered the Corona enemy. Yeah, or flare. I can't remember. Yeah, that, I think it was flare. I'm pretty sure it was flare. Yeah, light mages got Corona. And so on and so yeah, so on and so forth. Even the uh, Lagus got their own. Though they weren't they weren't terribly useful actually. Though it was in the, the Radiant Dawn where they actually got more useful. Yeah. Well, first we should just maybe talk about Lagus since they're kind of the big new addition to the series in Path of Radiance. Yeah, I gather that these are characters who shift back and forth between animal form. Is that correct? Yeah, they're basically yeah. useless characters in their human form because they can't attack. And their stats are much lower, but when their gauge builds up and they transform into their beast forms, they're ridiculously powerful and useful. But it's only so long until their gauge drains. It was uh, almost. I consider just too. I consider them too risky to use. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I make it a habit they're, to use at least a couple for, for the playthrough. So that, that yeah. sounds a little bit like what Murr in uh, Sacred Stones was like with her Dragonstone, and once it's gone, it's completely gone, but... Yeah, they're basically an evolution of the concept of the old mana kit from the previous games. Mm-hmm. Expanding it to the wider variety of creatures and more core mechanics rather than relying on limited-use items. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there are some limited-use items to use with them. There are um, items that basically allow you to instantly put them in the transformation mode. Uh, yeah, the Lagu Stone. Yeah. They also they also had some equipable items, like the Demi Band, they could stay in their form all the time, but it r- lowered their stats. Only Not really uh, worth it. The stat penalty. Yeah, just stat penalty. But yeah, the Lagu Stone was the only one of the limited uses, I believe. Although later they got the Lagu's Gems and Radiant Dawn. And also yeah. the Lagu Swords uh, who could hit the Lagu Spans and Yeah, the they could stay mission. in there. Yeah, no penalty. Yeah, yeah which is broken. Just broken. <laughs> Yeah. Which is why you can only use them in the last map. And in hard mode, only against um, uh, Ashnard, the last boss. Why, Cassandra, it sounds like you took on hard mode in this game. How was it? It was fun. I mean, the fact that I played it like six times previously made it easier because I could at least remember how the maps were like, what characters were probably best and whatnot. But it was, it was a lot of fun in a sort of, you know, hair-pulling sort of way. You were it's listening when I described Hector hard mode. Yeah, I don't think it's as bad as that, but it was still <laughs> it still got pretty bad at times. 
Not as bad as it could be, I imagine, but... Let's see, uh... This kind of start, you know, this is my, one of my, uh, still my, like, second one playing through. Again, got through my cousin the same way, but, um... I've kind of always noticed is, uh... I don't know if anyone else really has this problem, but I'm... Except for, like, one exception, I am never able to finish a Fire Emblem game in, you know, kind of, like, one sitting, so to speak. I mean... I will always get reached chapter 9, 10 or something. I have screwed up something so fundamental I just have to reset. Either that or I'll like it become so sick of it I have to wait until like five months later until I can come back and actually finally finish what I started, usually by restarting. Does anyone else kind of have that kind of problem with the series? I no. Yeah, I've had that problem. Like Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn are the only ones I haven't had that issue with. I mean, I say Shadow Dragon later on, I've had huge troubles with that. Sacred Stones, I've had troubles with that and never beat because. The original, I've had huge troubles with that and never beat because. It's kind of a problem with the games that unless you really get into them, you kind of drift away and it's hard to finish. They're good nonetheless, but you kind of really need to stick to them. I know, I started with Path of Radiance, so I kind of knew what to expect when I got into the earlier games in the series. Like, um, Although, my, issue is, us, mm-hmm. my issue is, um, like, when it, you know, it usually happens, like, without Fire Path of Radiance, I beat it in three weeks because I was, I was borrowing the game, and, you know, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to work anyone's boat. So, I mean, I borrowed the game and everything, but that first week, <laughs> I lost, I had to pretty much, re- I screwed up enough things, so I kind of had to restart. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't something terribly fundamental, it's just I, you know, made bad choices and characters and try to use a few too many than I should. And so, I mean, it's more of a, just a kind of thing where it's never really the same reason why I had to restart, but for some reason, I almost always end up having to restart at some point in time. I mean, I, I see. I, the only, like, the closest I got to that problem was in Fire Emblem, when I'd reached the last boss, the dragon, and nobody could with, nobody could um, do much damage to the dragon, and the dragon almost hit them twice, and they would die from that. And the only one who could do anything was Atho. So basically, I had him attack it, had somebody with a physics heal him every turn. It was, and it was, that got kind of hairy, but I managed to beat the game without having to restart, because that would have been terrible. You know, the last stage of the game. I don't remember anyone being being doubled by my dragon, but then again, if you're doubled by the dragon, you're dead. Yes. (laughs) No way to take two hits. Well, not everyone's double. I think the problem was, like, they didn't do enough damage, and the next turn, the dragon would have, you know, attacked them back, and I had no way to heal them. All well, of them, yeah, it's only vulnerable died. to a few weapons, and unless you've got somebody with maxed strength or magic, then you're going to be dealing dinky damage. Although, exactly. this is Fire Emblem, so 120 hit points may sound like piddly amount by another game standards, but for Fire Emblem, that's a lot. That is massive, yeah. Speaking of massive, I think there's a... There's one... This is the one game... There's only one game... Uh, this is the one game that... Uh, that one level I hate. Um, like chapter twenty-five, maybe twenty-six, oh, twenty-four. This is the one with the, the Black Knight. Ah, the Black Knight. Is that yeah. against the Black Knight when it, I yes, can't like, beat him? Yeah, because um, that map is pathetically easy. I mean, I actually can actually almost literally have Ike clear the map by himself at that point. But I mean, you can have it my Ike Ike maxed out. And that battle with the Dark Knight is almost no easier. I mean, the only reason, the only way you can really get through that battle with, um, you know, really no hitch involved is you have to use Mist, which is 
torture. <laughs> it's rocks. It's rocks. It's... Yeah, Nathan, I... you're sounding kind of otherworldly. Oh, uh, well, well, you know, while we're on this topic, before we get back to Mist, who I okay. gather is not much fun, uh, how does Ike okay. stand in Good the act. realm of heroes? He's one of Maybe the better ones, right? Yes, we can hear you. Much better. Um, well, Ike is godly. He is unmatched. Yeah, I mean... You, I mean, Ike is um, kind of fragile as a ranger at the start. I mean, he has is there's some shy, you know, moments and everything where you can really easily die, particularly in the um, chapter seventeen where he's escorting someone, so his stats are diminished. But once he's promoted, there's almost nothing in the game but the Dark Knight and the final boss can really pose a threat to him. Yep. Made worse when given their bagnall. Like. <laughs> A very rare weapon, which is both ridiculously powerful and infinite use. And ranged. Yeah, and ranged. And it boosts his defense. It's the second, it's the first, you know, it's the best sword available in the game. Um, I mean, the only game sword that comes close to it is the Amiti. Sadly, the characters on it will, um, doesn't really become available um, until very late in the game, so it's not an easy sword to use. I mean, well, let's see is good, but, but only theoretically. Honestly, I think that I think that's the one moment in the game that pisses me off is um like chapter seven or something like that when you're on the run and everything, and Lindsay says, "Don't worry, I can fight alongside you," and then you say no. Imagine if you'd have had the chance to actually, you know, train her up the whole game. Yeah, that would have <laughs> been yeah. So- I always, to, I, I always just want to punch Ike in that one cutscene. Yeah. <laughs> let, him, let her fight, darn it. Like, she's useful as a healer, but you, it really was nice that she can use that sword. I mean, she's a flying healer. That's, that, she's, she only one like that? That could I mean, be pretty useful, but still. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, sure, at that point in the game, she went at the Pegasus or anything like that, or the really good sword. I mean, it basically be, you know, a pre form of her, you know, original, you know, princess class, but. That would still be better than anything, so you can at least get some stats and levels on her, so when, you know, you can actually get the Pegasus, she's usable. Yeah, yeah she like I can pretty stats. little princess. <laughs> I have to save a lot of the bonus EXP for her. I mostly burned all the bonus EXP on Mist, but that was worth it in the end, because Mist is ridiculously powerful if you can get her magic swords in Battle of Radiance. Mm-hmm. Bonus XP. this sounds like something that would be very useful. Yeah, since it doesn't have the arena or any way, any other way to gain levels, instead you get bonus EXP for doing well during battles, and you can give that to the characters while at a base. And yes, this game has a base. I wish the other games had a base where I could buy items, do conversations. It's full to support conversations and the uh, special, like special other com- like base conversations. I think they were called. Like they were just ex- like it was Ike and one other character, either one of the other playable characters or just an NPC, and they're usually amusing. Yeah, and, like, yeah, you can distribute like, items and you give them a bonus EXP. I want that in the other game, darn it. Yeah, the base is great. It's so nice they move support conversations so characters aren't professing their undying love for another character in the middle of being attacked by all kinds of other monsters. Instead, yeah. I could do it in a place where they have some time alone or something. It makes <laughs> more sense. Now, one thing I'm curious about... Uh, 
the visuals in Fire Emblem are not exactly state-of-the-art, but I really liked, say, the critical animations on the GBA stuff. I just like seeing a Swordmaster go crazy and fill the sky with slashes before it tears into something. Or I love the way a Berserker will spin the axe in the air and then slam it down on the enemy for a critical. Uh, what do the visuals in this one compare as? Mediocre. Yeah, Because this terrible. was the first 3D one, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's a understandable but yeah they could have been better i mean the, the thing is it seems like we're now 3d so we have to kind of look relatively realistic so there's really no camp flair to it that, that on the game boy advance once has i mean you might have you know the sword masters kind of flicker and vanish for a second but it's just not insane looking as um when you know a sword master like comes from five different angles and blows yeah. me up yeah, Lynn's critical with uh, what was it? The soul Cotty at the end of the game, where she five of her appear around the enemy, where the final strike slashes it to bits. That's just yeah. so over the top that it's insanely cool. Yeah, no, um, the the um, 3D ones got a maybe just a bit too realistic. I mean, some of the animations are pretty good. I get some pretty good animations with um, his critical and of course Aether. But for the most part, the character... I mean, honestly, for the most part, you're just better off turning off those animations. You'll save you the time you'll need because you'll reset, like always. Huh. I kind of like the magic animations myself. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, magic animations aren't bad. But they're never too they're great. slow. Perhaps. Now, what else did it do because it was on GameCube, would you say? You got voice acting in some cutscenes. Oh boy! Awful, Not terribly awful good voice acting. Voice acting. I've heard worse. We've all heard I, worse, but yeah, know, so dear. But it's more of it is, saying more that you've heard worse simply means that this isn't the worst you've ever heard. <laughs> Pretty much true. It's more or less just a constant reminder of why we should be glad maybe Legend of Zelda is never going to be voice acted. <laughs> I was. In hey, listen. Hey, listen! Over here! Hello! <laughs> Nintendo of America... How you don't work in voice acting, Anna? <laughs> because I like a... writing. This <laughs> <laughs> is a unfair reminder that Nintendo of America doesn't know how to hire actual voice actors. I'll just go out on a limb and say that Nintendo of America probably does better than Sega of America did for certain games. Not that that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's more or less them. They just like, hey, you, read lines. Go. <laughs> Thanks. Here's $100. Leave. <laughs> it got more fun in uh, Radiant Dawn when there were more, was more voice acting. <laughs> oh, dear. It was noticeable then. Oh, At least you could kind awful. of... At least you can ignore in Path of Radiance because only a couple of those, uh, you know, full cut scenes. And so you didn't hear too much of the voice acting. But no, in the sequel, the, it became nightmares. Does that, uh, mean, yeah. does that mean we're ready to talk about the sequel? or If I could bring up, uh, what's interesting with Ike, he's the, I believe he's the first and still only uh, Fire Emblem Lord that does, that's not noble and does not start out as a Lord. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah, even still- uh, yeah, even Radiant Dawn. Uh, well, we get to it. The main character there, she's technically nobility. Yeah, I mean, 
there's the thing that there's some characters like in Fire Emblem Gaiden who don't seem to be nobility at first. Uh, no, don't seem to be nobility at first. But then it's revealed they're actually nobility. So they but don't not Ike. He's just he's oh. commoner. Well, well, though I could have been more. We found in his backstory that his father is, you know, a general for the was a general for the enemy, and he could have easily been raised, you know, among the enemy as a um, noble. True. Um, and I would say for this, you know, story-wise, well, Ike's not a very interesting character. Another one of those kind of I'm a hero element characters, but um, the story is definitely better told than the two on the handhelds, no doubt about that. Um, and actually deals with something remotely relative as a theme with racism. It doesn't do it very well, but <laughs> it does it. <laughs> yeah, I'll say the Path of Radiance plot is not its strong point. Just yeah. a bit Again, better than the sequel. Which is, at least this one has the kind of fun, kind of oh, insanely over-the-top villain in Ashnard, which but the second one's kind of more of a drop in the quality oh, yeah. Point. Yeah, and um, there's there's very few characters I'm scared of, like the Black Knight. I mean, that's I one that is imposing. I don't know, I've never had much problem with him, except on my first playthrough, I couldn't beat him and I got Enna, because in that one, if you don't beat the Black Knight in a certain number of turns, uh, his, uh, like his, I guess his minions will try, will activate some kind of trap, and then he and, um, Nasir, which is a, a dragon, a white dragon lagoon, will get trapped under the rubble, and you, they might both be dead. Nobody really knows. And you instead you get his granddaughter Anna, who isn't nowhere near as strong as he is. But if you beat him, you get um, Nasir instead, if she doesn't join you. And except for the, my first playthrough, I always got it. So I think it's because if I get at least one Aether, he the Black Knight is dead, even on hard mode. Yeah, it's like it's all about whether you get Aether before he gets Luna in that fight. And in my six of my seven playthroughs, he always got Aether. Yeah, well, at least Aether actually happens in this game. I got nerfed. Oh God, he got nerfed in, in Radiant Dawn. Mhm. Same with my other favorite character, Nafini. She's just not quite as good in Radiant Dawn. You Mine can. was pretty good in Radiant Dawn. Yeah, in Radiant Dawn, Daphne is the only character to max her stats in my playthrough. Well, for me and Radiant Dawn, she didn't kill everything automatically like she did in Path of Radiance. Path of Radiance, she could, um, I mean, honestly, Path of Radiance, if she'd just been given kind of her own special weapon, she probably could have taken Ashton off, um, probably better than Ike. Yeah. I thought she was, uh, she was still pretty good in that one. Who was the one that got nerfed in my playthrough? What was her name again? Uh, oh, come Mia? on! No, she was one of the mages. Ilyana, yeah, Ilyana, the lightning, the uh, oh, lightning mage. yeah. She was I, I most of my playthroughs in Path of Radiance, she was awesome. But for some reason, when I you know in Radiant Dawn, she just got like, what happened to you? Your magic should be a lot stronger than that. I started a second playthrough of Radiant Dawn, and she's better in that. But I haven't gotten far enough to see how far that goes. Yeah, the random number generator is a cruel lord sometimes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Ileana, well, the issue with Ileana is basically, and particularly in Path of Radiance, they definitely make, uh, drive this home. In Path of Radiance, she's basically um, a magical version of an axe user. That's very risky. That said, I mean, she's not useless, though. I mean, if you can actually find a way to deal with her, make up for her weaknesses, she gets, you know, the ultimate lightning um, attack in that game. 
was used for when you had to battle an entire stage of dragons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fair. lightning's effect against dragons across the board, which is very useful. Especially in Radiant yeah. Dawn when they turn all the Dragonites into actually being dragons. So they're all weak to lightning, making lightning Instead the most useful ones in the game. Yeah. Um, sounds like we're starting to compare everyone to Radiant Dawn. So is it time? Well, it's a direct we... sequel. Right. Yeah. I understand so... that. Okay, so before we go on, afterwards, I can t- completely understand comparisons. But do we need to formally move on yet, or shall we? Um, there's one thing I want to do before we do, and that's complain about the mission with the two boats, or is it three boats? Whatever. The mission with the boats. I hated that mission so much. Thanks to Riss dying over and over and over and failing the mission over and over and over. I spent weeks on that one map on easy mode. I hated it so much. And that's oh, all I, say. I honestly, um, I've only found, like, that map is ridiculous, particularly if you don't know, like, the one useful strategy. You take in, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Mac, not, uh, you take in the tiger guy. Mordecai. Mordecai. And you have Mordecai use smite on I- Ike. That will push him Ike to um, pass up. Then you have someone else use shove on Ike, and then I can talk to um, Acid the first turn. If you don't do that, it is yeah, people Astrid are gonna die. die. <laughs> and Astrid is actually pretty dang useful. If you again, I give bonus EXP to her because she has that Paragon skill, which makes her gives her double EXP. She always becomes like one of my best units, and she's almost always maxed out in my games. Again, even yeah. on hard mode. Just the mounted knights are ridiculously good in Path of Radiance, which is kind of mm-hmm. sad because they're useless in Radiant Dawn. Were they? Hmm. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they're, they're nerfed. All right, uh, let's let's formally bring it in, and we can just keep comparing them again because, after all, it's only three years, and a lot of characters are shared. Mm-hmm. Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn, which was released on the Wii on Armistice Day in two thousand seven. Anybody who doesn't know what Armistice Day is, you fail your history immediately. So, uh. I'm presuming that's an American something. Anna, you, you know what Armistice Day is, I'm assuming. <laughs> I just want to yank your chain. America doesn't call it Armistice Day, hasn't for years, but I call it Armistice Day. Okay? Anyway, um... Yes. Yeah, Path of Radiant... No, no, Radiant Dawn is uh, all kinds of special. It's probably the hardest one released in English. And the difficulty yeah. is mostly because read of the hardcore gaming on this, and this is the one where you can actually save multiple times in battle, right? Oh, that yeah, you can have permanent yes. battle saves. That still and doesn't help the fact that it's ridiculous. Well, yeah, that's for sure. It was pretty difficult even on uh, easy mode for me. Well, it, that's because um, it's the biggest misnomer, and I almost just want to slap Nintendo for this one. Is um, our easy mode is Japan's normal. Oh, Japan's normal mode. That may. Oh, that means on my new playthrough, I'm playing through hard mode. <laughs> yeah, because our normal mode is Japan's hard mode, and God help you if you choose hard mode, because that's just the Japan's maniac. Ow. You know, it's funny. It's normally the other way around, where North America tends to get the easier modes, I, and Japan I, tends I to get because, the tougher ones. Yeah, because for Path of Radiant, they invented an easy mode for us. They're, Japan didn't have an easy mode, and they made one for us. I don't know what happened with um, Radiant Dawn. I don't know who said, oh, normal should be easy. They I mean, got it. But not actually make it easier? <laughs> yeah, not sure what's going on there. That explains a lot. 
Uh-huh. And there's also that also this also caused Nintendo of America also caused a little bug. Um, I don't know how many people had this happen. I had yeah, this happen. I did. I had this happen. Yeah. I did. Yeah. If you have an easy thing. mode file, even if it's not the one you're importing on your GameCube game, and you try to transfer that into the uh, Wii game, if you don't have the disc fixed up by Nintendo America, you get a glitch and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I had to delete that easy mode save, which was fine. I mean, I didn't really particularly feel attached to it or anything. Well, I would have liked to have deleted that easy game mode. I mentioned that Path of Radiance, but um, I've never owned Path of Radiance. I've only borrowed from people. So uh, um, I didn't have the game copy on hand, and it'd be really nice if, you know, if you went to the GameCube settings and went to the memory card, you could defeat individual files, but you have to open the game to delete those files. So I, and it wasn't even my easy mode. It was my brother's who we got to, like, level chapter three. It, that was awful. I mean, I just, then again, I guess it's okay because that transfer almost doesn't really do anything unless you've actually planned it all out. Because the really the best thing the transfer really does is give you the option to get Ike's you know final story mode line with you know his exact epilogue, and that's only if you um had to complete Path of Radiance with an A rank with him between him and Soren, mm-hmm. and then get that A rank again. Not that that's hard because the support system took a hit to the knees in this game. Yeah. Oh. It also required you to have them stand next to each other. But the worst part is, is that the support conversation, the support, you can make the supports with any two characters in the game, but there are no longer like unique supports between those characters. They don't have interesting dialogue that, so you can learn more about who they are and you see them, you know, come closer to each other. Instead, they're just generic things like, hey, you know, hey there, like, hello, or, you know, like, don't die out there. Same to you. Something, you know, generic and stupid like that. And this really hurt the story mode of the Fire and of Fire and Radiant Dawn because all these new characters they introduce do. I mean, you get like, I mean, they're not exactly Fire Emblem's not really known for its two dimensional, you know, for three dimensional characters to begin with. But at least you, they gave you something with a support system that you know you wouldn't uh, get otherwise. All the new characters got absolutely nothing besides you know their original introduction chapter. Well, sometimes you get a bit of it in the base conversations. There were more of those, and they were somewhat more involved. But still, it was not enough to make up for the lack of real support conversations. Yeah, yeah but far away, one of the worst things about the game is that no good support conversations. Are. The other really kind of weird um, narrative aspect of the game is the um, kind of the jumping back and forth between, you know, the main character kind of roles in different parties. It's an interesting concept, but in about chapter three, it kind of gets muddled because um, Micaiah's team is, of course, the only one that starts out, you know, with everyone in, you know, the first stages. Everyone else starts out on second stage, um, uh, you know, promoted, um, you know, levels. And then from there, you move on to a magical third stage. Yes. And this, this hurts Micaiah's team like no one's business because... You, it's easy to give them almost all of them at or, you know, just right before promotion by the end of chapter one. But when you then the like three, cha- three really hard levels, you have them for chapter three. You're pretty you much part like three? part three for part three. Those three chapters you have them for are barely enough to really adequately get bring them up and make them ready for the final part of the game. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're very likely going to use most of, if not all of Ike's team for that one instead, except for the ones that you're required to bring from uh, Micaiah's team. Which are Micaiah herself and Sop. 
And Celta is um, Celta is very interesting because Celta is kind of a little gag actually. I, I thought that was actually really cute when you know you find out you know that's the reason Celta couldn't you know promote in the previous game because he was going to promote in this one. Yeah, I, I almost have to wonder: did they plan that one out, or you know, is that real you know insight by them, or did, I, is that it's a possible, joke? It's, it's possible. I, I haven't seen it myself, but I think I. Uh, heard somewhere that Soth, instead of dying when he loses all his HP, will run away, which might hint at the fact that, you know, the, instead of dying, he that he goes back out to look for Micaiah. But I think yeah, he had this plan at the beginning. I almost wonder if Radiant Dawn was designed to be just the second half of Path of Radiance originally. I mean, Path of Radiance contains a lot of unusual data that actually refers to the major goddesses that appear in Radiant Dawn. And, and to uh, the, the uh, identity of the Black Knight. Oh, yeah. Except well, what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like the second half really doesn't live up to the first. It really kind of doesn't because um, it's the it really is a matter of just awful pacing. Yeah, and some really annoying story twists. The whole yeah. blood oath thing is just a terrible plot device and really drives the narrative later part, which I don't like at all. Yeah. Um. It's just everyone kind of gets stuck on a drama train that's just really unneeded for this kind of, you know, series. I mean, I don't and not, I have nothing against the series, you know, aspiring to greatness and storytelling. It just this was more of, a, you know, kind of a facepalm experience than a, oh, that was good literature. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I think they do, you know, just a simple fantasy story better than they did trying to, you know, attempt something greater than they have tried before. I'd like to see them try again, but. They'll need to step the game up a bit more than this. Yeah, they need to do something better than the terrible, oh yeah, the Black Knight, this awesome character from the previous game, name that, you know, you wonder, who's the Black Knight? In Radiant Dawn, they just, some guy randomly comes up and says, oh yeah, the Black Knight's this guy, without any particular <laughs> warning or dramatic effect whatsoever. Yeah. And this is what we call pacing people, how not to do it. I think of the game this long be better at. <laughs> yeah. Um, another kind of issue with the game is, um, and it really all again comes down to Micaiah's team. Because um, Micaiah and Celta only can promote based on when the story wants them to promote. You know, they're, they're kind of Lord like characters that way. And they're not given a lot of chapters to really pull this off effectively. In fact, I think what makes Micaiah probably the worst is she's an interesting concept for a Lord character, a light mage, but she is one of the most fragile things I've ever seen in the series. Very, very much. Although somehow That's she got sick. the most kills in my in my first playthrough. Like, I was like, when did I get, kill that many opponents? And why is she still on, you know, rank S light magic? I couldn't even use the final like, you know, light magic tome because of that. Well, well it's actually pretty easy that, because. Well, the thing it's that Thani. Yeah, Thani. Like, oh yeah, that's Thani, right, Thani. It's like the most absurd Thani. weapon they've ever given to a lord. I swear, because it's, it does like double damage to armored guys and 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 double damage to cavalry and it's magic, which they, none of them have resistance to. So she can just one yeah. to kill anything. That's actually right. troublesome to those who are part of. Honestly, if you have any problems with the boss, Micaiah can make quick work of it. Um, I mean, that's skill, actually. Sadly, though, Micaiah in actual conventional warfare is more of a liability than an asset. Mm-hmm. 
She's luckily she does get healing later on, but you know, still she's she's. And honestly, I didn't. Did anyone actually see her use you know a double attack you know before she hit her um, you know the final chapter? Before Uh, I might have. I don't remember. Yeah, at least she's got the sacrifice ability, which it hurts her when she heals, but at least it clears status conditions, which is really handy in some parts of the game. Yeah. I never used it, because she, she always had low HP with me, so I never used it. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, if you really need to kind of aspect. Luckily, um, by Chapter um, 3, she had the, no, Part 3, she had the ability to heal with actual commercial staff, so that was useful. But, um, no, I mean, uh, I think it was in the, um, like, Chapter 2 or of uh, Part 5 and everything. Um, I'm going, holy crap, Micaiah just doubled attack. And blew the enemy to smithereens. I don't know. I mean, she was an interesting concept for a lord, but I definitely would like to see them, you know, handle a magical lord again, you know, with a bit more poise. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, she's a lot like Roy in some regards. Just <laughs> only 10% of the time useful. <laughs> and that 10% is in the last part of the game. Well, actually, she's really good against any boss battle in the first part whatsoever, so... Yeah, that's true, that's She's true. better than Roy in that regard. Yeah. That sounds like Meanwhile, a crying shame, because this is the first... Almost the first non-sword user, even, and sounds like it got miffed badly for a lord. Yeah. And it doesn't help even more, because, um, you know, come uh, part three... Um, everyone's favorite Ike is back to pretty much steal the stage from Rum anyway. The issue yeah. with the narrative is is highly incoherent who we're really supposed to be, you know, going, yay, go you. Because Micaiah is an interesting character and then pretty much completely pushed aside for Mary Sue Ike. <laughs> Mary Sue Ike. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Somebody fights for his friend. Game out in the world. Uh, but no, um, this game is still has a lot. I mean, honestly, the other major it problem with this game is, I mean, th- this series is known for giving a lot of characters many years you're never going to use. This game takes that up to like eleven. Yeah, you're. It's very much so. You're gonna use up. You're gonna use maybe what? 10%, 20% of the entire roster out there? There's some, characters, most... that, there's some characters who are literally so bad that it's better to not use them than to actually deploy them. It's like like the, the daughter of Brom is like the kind uh, of character where she's Meg. so... What's her name again? Yeah, Meg. 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 She's like so bad that I'd rather just use no one than use her. <laughs> actually, it's the funny thing. I, for some, re- for some absolutely insane reason, I've said... What if I used Meg? And I actually got her to become pretty good. I mean, not, you know, permanent, you know, te- make this a part of my permanent team good, but she actually held her own in, you know, the uh, part four and everything as one of the major fighters in um, uh, one of the um, armies. Actually, she was probably better than her father. The issue is when you get her in Micaiah's storyline, it's really hard to pull her off being useful. Um, I hear it's the same for Fiona. If anyone remembers Fiona's existence, that's the hard part. Oh, um, her. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, a horse, it's a you know it's a horse unit in Micaiah's game, 
when all the other dungeons are inside. So the horse gets, you know, she's useless. Yeah. You know you're in trouble when Cassandra goes, oh, her. <laughs> speaking of, yeah. oh, her. I, I nearly forgot her. The, no, speaking of, you know, oh, her, I wanted to say Mist at least became usable in this game. Uh, actually, I think Mist's weaker in this one than the previous, though. She's still kind of good. She can at least use swords in the beginning now, but she, there's no longer magic swords in this game, which let her just use her mad, powerful magic stat and swords ability combined to a great unit. So uh, she doesn't have the, that anymore. But at least she can yeah. use a Mondite in this game, which rocks. Oh, yeah, but the Floor Red is a great sword. I mean, I she actually was one of my best units because, you know, got Uranium, you know, got Mount, got Healing, got a pretty awesome sword. Um, and it's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy to already know, get, you know, extras of, all surprisingly. So, I mean, I actually pretty found her to be pretty useful. Um, much better than the chore it was to kind of make her, you know, raise her to maturity in the previous game. Yeah, it is a bit easier to build her up in this one. And when, but I still just like, the, why they send her back down to Claire? Everyone else starts pre-promoted. Why does she lose her yeah, balcony? Like, why aren't you a Valkyrie anymore? Where's your horse? Yeah. And she uh, said she upgrades the Valkyrie for her third tier, and she should be moving past Valkyrie. What's up with that? I don't know. Maybe the canon was supposed to be that she didn't actually reach Valkyrie in the previous game because, I don't know, you weren't supposed to use her or something. Makes no mm-hmm. sense. I mean, as bad as she was in um, Path of Radiance, it's highly recommended to at least get her up to a um, point where she can um, you know, protect herself because otherwise it's um, very annoying to try to just wait to um, Aether just kind of pulls off while you're healing yourself with... Uh, uh, Lakers against the Black Knight. Yeah, you'll pretty. Yeah, you'll want her to be a Valkyrie for that one. That's for sure. At least until those, you know, especially to keep away from those units that come in and try to attack her with. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but uh, what's pretty? What um is one also major improvement in this game for us is uh Lagoos. Um. A lot of the Lagoos aren't really necessary. Again, more of the issue of the just throwing way too many characters than you actually need. But you now actually can get and use a lot of the more, you know, boiled, you know, Lagoos. And not only are they broken, you're now given the ability to, you know, actually kind of let them pretty much, you know, become addicted to um, Lagoos, jo- stones, and Lagoon gems and everything. To the point yeah, that it's almost impossible not to have them promote, you know, transformed. Well, yeah. I think about Lagoos that I find them hard to use because simply because they take a lot of experience to level up and they don't level up well. So you it feels like it's much they're hard to level up, but you can constantly be trading them up for better Lagoos as you go. You go yeah. from like wolves and ravens who have terrible basic the basic growth of their bar and the way it declines is just utterly horrible and then you progress up to things like tigers and hawks, which are much, much more reliable and steady and strong. And then once you pass them, you can move up to the dragons and the goose lords, who are just freaking broken. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I, honestly, the only Lagoos I'm not really fond of in this game are actually the dragons. Because um, you're forced to take um, uh, Kurt, Kurt, no, Kurt and... Um, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Naga. Kurt Naga and, um, Ed, and Edna. Um, Edna uh, no, Anna. And, oh, boy, she's hard to make useful. Very. Yes, yeah, she's, she's a red dragon, white dragon stats. A pink dragon that's just not as good as she should be, since red dragons are built off of heavy strength and are all about attack power, magic attack. 
White dragons are about men. Red dragon physical attack. White dragons are all magic attack and their magic power. She's a red dragon who uses whose attacks depend on their physical strength. Which is dragon stats. I mean, she has high magic stat but low strength. She's it's messy. I think if you use the various card items, she can be useful. Maybe I haven't tested that. I can. Remember, I think she's. Um, I think where's. I think what's useful for her is her abilities, but that's about it. I think she has some pretty good um, area of effect um, booster abilities. Oh, the red tide. Like I think it was called. Yeah. Forgot what it did, um, but yeah. Red, red Tide is good. Yeah, Kurt is Kurt's much better, but he's also just you know kind of um, adds to the last minute kind of thing, and so he's you know you have to level grind him, kind of like Lindsay in the previous game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know if you do put in that little effort into him, he's definitely useful for the final battles. Especially since his Night Tide, which boosts everyone's defense around him, which is nice. Yeah. Very. Uh, speaking of uh, you know kind of like hidden gem characters. Um, oh, uh, but, no, I just want to throw another thing about the Longus. They did change one thing about their human form. The human form can attack back if they get attacked, but it, though it wasn't terribly terribly useful, but at least they did something. Yeah, well, the yeah. thing about that is that they're in half stats compared to their beast form and human form, so basically later in the game, anything just one-shot kill them the moment they get it close with their human form. So mm-hmm. I never had not... that problem. Mm-hmm. I think because I, mo- I, I think I managed to keep them in Longus form most of the time anyway, <laughs> with those yeah. gems and stones. I mean, the gems, like, he got five of them, I think, from one use, and they lasted the entire uh, turn, so that was always good. The entire battle, I mean. Yeah. Um, I know, I remember, I always like to, you know, find out what characters are, you know, insanely powerful, but no one actually ever uses. Apparently, the, you know, hidden gem of this game is Spica, or, um, who's, uh, the raven that you could see at the very beginning of the game and don't really get back into the very end. You know, she's part of that group, um, you know, that just is really hard to pull off. But if you actually train her up, she's apparently um, surpasses Nesala. If you manage to train her up, I guess, because I tried to use her and I dumped, I dumped her pretty quickly because just like, I can't feel Yeah, it's like she shows up as a low-level character, you know, using the very end battles of the game with third-tier characters. It's not yeah. easy. I mean, it's interesting because yeah. aside from um, uh, one of the herons, what's her... It, What's her the the uh, the female heron? She's the only female uh, bir- uh, bird lagoose in the you know in the entire world that we've seen so far. And yeah, probably all ever. Speaking of the heron, since you're forced to play one, who did everyone kind of you know end up choosing? I chose Raphael. Uh, Leanne. No, wait. Raphael was for final bed, but Leanne is useful for also. Raphael. Uh, I always I always just went back on my you know mainstay of uh, race on. Ah, uh, racing. Sorry, I got the names mixed up. It's racing. I find that Heron's a bit odd in the fact that there's supposedly these very peaceful, you know, race people, but real Herons are vicious predators. Where did they get that idea? I mean, yeah, um, they look pretty, but they're nasty. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Maybe they had a different name in Japanese. Are crane, cranes are carnivores too, aren't they? Hmm. Not sure. I always kind of thought maybe you should just kind of like try to figure out how to make them doves or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of silly that they, you know, they're peace-loving, but no, no, there's... The real animal itself will peck your eyes out if you let them. Yeah. Well, race and peck your eyes out if you let him, but he's too. <laughs> True. Uh, um, oh, looking at the character sheet, I'm just remembering something that really kind of annoyed me of another kind of stupid plot twist or, you know, stupid kind of retcon. Renning. Alicia's father or uncle. Uh, yeah, her uncle. They kind of, again, they actually, there's some like, hidden data in the. Uh, 
Path of Radiance kind of hinted at it because apparently you could see a portrait, a hidden portrait of Renning, and he looked yeah. just like that. Uh, that night, whatever his his name Bertrand. was in that game. Yeah, that. Bertrand. Oh, yeah, yeah Bertrand, Bertrand, Bertrand. So there were hints that he was Renning, and then what do you know? It was proven true. It's not that it's proven true that bothers me. It's more that he has survived death twice at this point. Yeah, it's well, like just can't in a Fire back. Emblem game. <laughs> That's what got me is um I see, I see. It's like speaking of someone who survived death, who else got a really, you know, good giggle out of Oliver joining this team? I missed that the first time. I just killed him. I got <laughs> I thought that was kinda of weird, just like you're joining my team, you you okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know. he was I thought it's it's ridiculous, but I don't mind because I, you know, was glad to see that music track back. Well, again, I didn't, thought I didn't mind it. I just thought it was kind of strange. I don't know. I almost kind of just feel like, you know, at the end, they just wanted something to, you know, just, hey, let's try this. Sure. Well, that's silly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have to wonder what went through their heads when they decided to, you know, make Oliver recruitable. Yeah. Especially since you have to recruit him with, uh, does, did it have to be Raphael or any of the herons? It has to be Raphael. It has to be. So it's just, and he, you know, he just goes so obsessive over it. His obsessions with the herons is very, very disturbing. It's not even a normal recruit, because normally, you know, if it's an enemy recruit, you have that person go talk to him. No, no, you can't have Raphael talk to him. You have to wait for him to run over to Raphael and kind of go fanboy squee and join your side. She's the best. That's true. Okay, I think we might have to start moving on to the last game in the series that came out in English, unless there are any final thoughts on Path of Radiance. Har and Jill rock. Say that again. Har and Jill rock. Har and Jill. They just are awesome. Oh. They do. They are. They're in both games. Yep. All right. Then that means it's time to move on to Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, which came out in North America on February 16th, 2009 for our not quite defunct yet friend, the Nintendo DS. And this one is a remake of the very, very first Fire Emblem and sort of a remake of the first half of the third Fire Emblem, but we'll get into that a little later. And this will be notable for many people because all of those Smash Brothers players out there remember Marth, and this is his story. You know, funny thing is for a long time, I thought Marth was a girl. And uh, at one point, I went into the character selection, or I went into like the sticker screen or something for Smash Brothers, and it was like Marth, the Fire Emblem King, and I was like, "Oh, I guess Marth is a guy." Well, it's not. It's made worse in Brawl. He's he's uh, rocking some pretty girly uh, hairstyle and um, eyes in the Brawl version. Yeah, he's got like really portrait in a Shadow Dragon. Come to think of it. Yeah, I mean, well, they they kind of based the brawl version kind of off of the Shadow Dragon kind of art style, which I thought was kind of nice, but girly. He, he is definitely effeminate. So, you know, gender bending aside. Well, at least he's wearing pants this time. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he have, like, the little, like, uh, Spartan skirt thing going on in brawl? Well, you know, even, I mean, uh, he was, uh, I think... Uh, he who played the one of the more original versions of the storyline can attest to the uh, early 90s uh, kind of style going on with the game originally. Yeah, the, we just had no pants. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe it was the Donald Duck rule, since if we refuse to acknowledge genitalia, then we don't have to cover them. Uh, but no, um, this game... <laughs> it's not just yeah. a Japanese thing, but carrying on. Yeah, this, yes. um, let's not talk about Smash Brothers too much, since this is, after all, not about people flying out into space. I know. Um, for Shadow Dragon, is uh, for a remake, it's an interesting little thing because it's not. It's, they could definitely done a lot more, particularly in the aspect of not adding supports, which they didn't. Um, no, but we do get really this, this strange fun. feature of being able to reclass your troops at pretty much any time. Yes, which is useful for certain characters. And true, this is true. Uh-huh. It's useful. It doesn't quite make up the loss of all of the things that are missing from some of the previous games. Like, no. yes, it, it is yeah, it's triangle, but uh, yeah, but it doesn't, too much. It doesn't help. Especially since the story is not exactly without it's, the four conversations, the story is just not as intriguing. Even though the translation was pretty decent. Oh yes, this is a story that first came out in 1990 when RPGs were not known for their world class storytelling. True enough. This has never been known for its world class story. (laughs) Really, the remake didn't try to elaborate that much on the story. No, that's that's a failing of intelligent systems if you choose to see it that way. Yeah. The Um, the thing that sort of struck me about this game is I found it crushingly difficult, far harder than the Game Boy games. Really? This is actually, you know how I mentioned earlier, I always like have to, you know, restart a game or I have to take like a year off before I can go back and actually finally finish it. This game I beat in seven days. Really? Like I had no problem plowing through it. I think I got like most of the way done it, but I basically sat with the strategy guide in my lap doing it and I was totally okay with that. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. This is scared me. I was like, what What on earth is this? I've never had this easy of a time just plowing through a fire game. I mean, when I finally beat it, I was like, did I just beat a fire game in a week? What What madness is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the game myself. It's just... <laughs> Those darn ballistas, this, a wall of them. I don't know how to yes, get through the, them. Yes, the mobile oh, ballistas. Oh, yeah. Changed. Those are just nasty. And since we never addressed them before, ballista are super long-ranged arrows. They tend to have small numbers of ammo, but they also tend to be immobile in the other games, and they aren't here, so that very, very long-ranged weapons can move after you. I How did I... I how did I not remember that? Oh, I don't remember that part. Is there is it op? You know, is there any you know alternate storyline kind of aspect that allows you to skip that otherwise, or did I just deal with it somehow? I think you must have dealt with it somehow. This there aren't any optional paths unless you count another hey. different part of this game, which is that if you have less, less than yeah. I think it's fifteen characters going into certain battles, and the only way you can have less than fifteen characters is to kill them off actively. Mm-hmm. then you will get to see some new battles created specifically for this game in which you will create new characters for this game. Or, and then, of course, if you want to see more new characters, then you have to keep killing people. Yeah, Wait, which ends up, you'll end up killing a lot of those new recruits. <laughs> yes, because the game um, the game seems to be under the implication that, you know, if you are, don't have enough characters to meet the, you know, character cap for the level then for some reason it thinks you need that extra character. So they create a random weak character for you that you just is another thing for you to kill. 
And their name uh, is usually based on, on numbers, like Uno, Dos, whatever. <laughs> Get far enough, I hear they started getting into slight, slight jabs at the player's playing skill. Wait, I heard that. It's not our playing heard. skill because they asked us to kill everyone off. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to kill anyone off until I found out, oh, I have to. Well, yeah, my first playthrough, I went through it like the uh, usual Fire Emblem, don't let anybody die. Second one, okay, start killing people. Or letting them die, I suppose, and killing anybody who I could recruit if I talked to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, interesting... There, I found probably the most interesting little, you know, kind of glitch in the game. I wish I had used it. I only read about it after the fact, and I don't really see myself ever replaying this particular game. So, you know, anyone that hears this and still is, you know, wants to pick up Shadow Dragon. Um, in the game... The uh, final chapter is only accessible if um, the Falcon, which is uh, Mars' best sword, is not available. And if uh, the dragon Tiki has you know, not survived up to this point or was never recruited. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a loophole to this. Because of the way the system works is any items the character possesses in their inventory when they die goes back into the group inventory at the end of the game and at the end of the round. So what you can do in chapter 24 is give Tiki the Falcon and then kill her off. The Falcon will go back into your inventory and you can then play chapter 24-6, which is good because it gives you another, you know, kind of holy Dragonstone. So that way um, uh, you have another uh, Dragonstone for Tiki because immediately yes, after this, few games in which you can revive a character. You can actually revive. Uh-huh. So you can revive Tiki and you now have an extra holy Dragonstone and you kept the Falcon all along. Yep. It's like it's you know it's a great little glitch that I read about. I almost wish I had found out about this before I actually play the game because that had been something wonderful to abuse. <laughs> I should mention that I actually yes, I did that in my second playthrough, I believe. It is possible to revive people in this. Marth's sister can do it. She's the only one, but that staff has one I mean, use. One, one use. So it's one. still not advised to just depend upon that to undo all the people you let die. Yeah. Yeah. Did the, that doesn't really matter anyway, because, um, I mean, uh, honestly, at that point, if there's anyone that died, they just die in the previous map anyway. I mean, there, yeah, there's no one in the early, very early on you're going to want to revive at this point anyway. I mean, yeah. it'd be useless. It's more of a team, you know, oops, you, you kind of, that last dungeon was really hard with Garnef, so here, please revive someone. Yes, the trick with Garnef is very simple. He can only be harmed by one weapon which can only be wielded by a mage. Everyone else is just dead weight when you're fighting him. The sad thing, though, is... Um, what's the mage's name? Um, Linda? Go back to the Linda? Linda's the one I had use it. Um, who was the... Was Julian a caster? Who's Merrick. I had Merrick. Um, Merrick, uh, I think it's like Starlight or something. Um, Starlight. Yeah. Merrick... He was good, but certainly not top tier class. So I had a hard time killing Garnet. That was an annoying battle. I mean, luckily it wasn't timed or anything. I mean, that's the only way it could have been worse if it was time. But that battle just took kind of forever. It's chipping away at um, Garnet's ability. Well, I think Lena was my healer or something like that, and she was uh, making sure Merrick didn't die in the process. Yeah, if the character who is wielding Starlight dies, you're screwed. Yeah, you can't win. Mm-hmm. 
In the original game, I think it's possible to not even get Starlight. Does that still turn Shadow Dragon? I don't remember. I, I thought the game kind of like showed uh, Starlight. You know, you gave it gave it to you in the beginning of the you know, you know the either the beginning of the stage or something like that, and it basically said it's the only thing that will hurt him. I guess really the only way it's unwinnable is if you just hadn't played Use of Mage up to this point. So it's more of kind of your incompetence, so more than the games. But I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I don't remember Starlight being particularly difficult to acquire, even in Monster Magazo, the third game. But uh, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Just you need a well balanced team in every Fire Emblem. If you haven't been training in Mage, uh, oops, screw you. <laughs> This is the game's way of telling you that you suck. Well, at the same time, luckily they're nice enough that if you at least trained a healer, um, take the next uh, second to change the class to an offensive mage, and you might have a chance. That's true. So I guess they, I guess actually that might have been the reason they actually employed this method. Oh, and Marth does not promote, but again, in a change from the original, he can go past level 20, and his stat gains are decent, which... Yes. That's him useful. Yes, um, he's still more kind of an Elliewood kind of character, where he's, you know, he's not, he's not he your. He doesn't crazy. promote, and he starts with a sword, so he's going to be a lot like Elliewood, no matter what you do. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still he's more of you know all kind of well rounded. He doesn't really become you know your. He doesn't. Make, he's no Ike kind of character or no Sigrim kind of character, but still, certainly. He he's not pathetic, and the, the remake definitely made him able to you know hold a candle to the others towards in the game. A very nice um, little thing. I think the same is true for the thieves and for Zena. Yeah, I I played a little bit of the last battle last week to remind myself of the game, but I don't remember many of the characters. Um, Zena is the Zena is the transformer. You know. He's oh, her, yes, yes. That, I think it's the him. Yeah, I vaguely think it was my, my think it was a, I think it was a him. He, yeah, sure it. Um, no, okay, no, the the wiki does use he. It's just like a pink haired guy. So I mean, no no blaming anyone for getting that one wrong. This game is very has many effeminate characters for an old game. <laughs> I think Anna mentioned something like that, didn't she? <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're talking I got lost. about the, the strangely effeminate nature of most of the cast of Shadow Dragon. Yeah, they just they just seem to all be a little more effeminate than later titles. Which and is I don't know if they just, I don't know if they just had a different influence, or I mean, I don't know how how influenced were Japanese games in the nineties on, on like say Korean RPGs. Mm. Well, the original uh, art for this game is pretty basic, at least the in-game stuff. The, the Nintendo couldn't show very much. Right, but I mean, you know, just because the Super Nintendo couldn't, you know, render awesome artwork didn't stop Amano from making, you know, beautiful Terra and Celeste artwork out of game. I'm going to chalk it up partially to the redrawn characters for Shadow Dragon, because they have been done by a different artist in this game. Uh-huh. Even then, I'm looking at the original designs are still surprisingly effeminate for the time period because, you know, we're used to, you know, 
particularly with the uh, Square Enix and I think bemoaning the you know effeminacy of uh, the modern JRPG um, hero. But no, no, that looks like uh, if you dig deep back enough, um, man, no manly girls were nor girly man were men were um, always kind of there to um, be found. Yeah, without having without, seen yes. the original art, I can't speak to it. But the, the art for the third game does look an awful lot like uh, something not particularly masculine from an anime or a Disney cartoon from the late 80s. That's how it looks. Yeah. It, it has an extreme 80s look, even going into 93. Actually, even going into um, Fire Emblem you know, 4, when I, what little I play of that, that hair. <laughs> I should say that even though the music tracks aren't as varied as they could be in Shadow Dragon, they're a lot better than they were on Super Nintendo, where you got exactly one music track for every battle. Except the last one, which finally varied it. Hmm. And Even the, against the bosses? Hmm? Even against bosses? I, I mean, for battlefields. You got quick little... Battlefields, I see. Okay. Uh... And the art style for Shadow Dragon in-game is kind of interesting. Everybody looks to have been outlined in dark pencil. I guess you kind of like that. Is that just me? I didn't say it was bad. I just said it was interesting. Yeah, I find it interesting. I'm the kind of of person that, you know, like, I would kill for um, Scranks to actually put effort in the graphics to make, like, actual mono artwork come to life. I'm that kind of person. I like those kind of artsy farsy styles because there's something very different from the um, standard, you know, uh, JRPG art styles we get in the same um, standard Western art styles we get. Honestly, anytime you can throw me a new kind of art style, I really want to see how you can render it. Yeah, and I didn't dislike this. I'm just observing that it's definitely distinct from all the other games. Yeah. Sadly, a lot of people did dislike it. I saw so many people complain about it. I thought I, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I didn't find like the battle animations myself. They're kind of dry and boring without the flair of the Game Boy Advance games or even the ener- the speed and energy of the GameCube and Wii games. That one I yeah. definitely agree with. Yeah, yes. so do I. I thought it was just like, okay, this is kind of dull. Eh. Honestly, the thing is, though, because I restart so many times, I've only pretty much given up on battle animations to begin with anyway. I, like, I have to remind myself to turn them off for like, a boss fight just to get that semantic flair. Because, I don't know, I mean, when half the time is being spent looking at the same animation over and over again, you know you're going to be restarting this match maybe three times. It's just not worth it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I usually keep it on except if I restart. Just like, oh, I immediately, if I have to restart, go into the options, you know, hit it to no animations and just, you know, plow through. And try to make the same mistake twice. I usually don't do that because the animations do go by pretty quick, but... Every time I remember to turn them off, it goes by even quicker. So well, it's probably because I usually it's usually Path of Radiance for me, and yeah, <laughs> that's a bit. All right. We, oh, I guess one, doesn't one, really spawn much discussion, has it? Well, I, I, I can mention one of the uh, characters that one one of the ones that join you if you have fewer than fifteen characters. Uh, she's like I thought she was kind of interesting, even though very few of them have much in a way of personality. Her name is Athena. She's a swordmaster. I believe she comes in a side chapter where you're trying to save a kid from a bunch of pirates. She speaks in some sort of 
Eastern European accents, Russian, Romanian, I don't know what. And for some reason, she speaks in a, in, in a sort of a third person. No, it wasn't third person, but she speaks like the, the royal we. I think because she thinks she's more than one woman. And she thinks like, like the ah, woman, bun, woman. And in fact, it's, like, it's so catching that even Marth starts, you know, speaking like that. And he's just like, Ugh! he catches himself like, oh, dear. And starts speaking normally. I thought that was, that was a funny scene, even though you never, you know, those poor conversations. So you can't find out more about her or just hear more of that funny dialogue. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of that dialogue, and as we mentioned before, this is a very good localization. I'd probably say dialogue-wise is probably the best they've done for localization, which leads me to just bang my head against the wall since this is one of the worst, you know, and most sparse storylines with absolutely no supports. For so Fire Emblem in general or Nintendo? Because I've seen, like... No, I mean, just for Fire Emblem. They oh, usually don't put this much flair into the um, you know dialogue for a Fire Emblem game. They usually oh, kind of translate yeah. and call it a day. Some of them are kind of interesting, but yeah, I guess for the most part, not as good as say you know Mario and Luigi or Magical Star Sign or something. But yeah, I mean, well, they're interested in Dragon Quest games. Yeah. Shadow Dragon channels a lot more of the kind of variety of spellings and interesting just sense of. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a genuinely bad Nintendo of America translation in a while, and they always yeah. at least seem to be more interesting than just bland text. I mean, they're, they're competent, but this is one where they actually kind of look like they actually spent some time on it. Made a make of the fact that the fact, you know, it took like five minutes to me actually run it, you know, kind of get things going, because this is definitely one of the most sparse scripts they had to deal with for the Fire Emblem series. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they did it, because it was easier, <laughs> shorter. Yeah, I mean, I guess they had to feel like they had to do something to earn the paycheck. <laughs> Which actually kind of just means me even more annoyed because, you know, they put so much effort in this one, and, you know, now it looks like we're not going even going to get the next one. It, it seems it's kind of a really weird mixed signal I'm getting from Nintendo of America. Hmm. We'll get to that in the import corner, but first we have to take a little break, and veterans know what the break is going to be for.
Okay, now the Fire Emblem series has seen an awful lot of stuff stay in Japan, beginning, of course, with the first game on the original Nintendo. But we have no need to ever play that again, because I understand it's very clunky by today's standards, and it was remade as Shadow Dragon, so you have no need to touch it again. The second game... Eh... Well... That one is very, very different, but I understand grinding is absolutely mandatory in it because the enemies are just obscenely powerful. And it's possible to grind because there are random battles in it. That one, again, I have no first-hand knowledge of. And, Charles, are you back? Yes. Okay, I wanted to talk about Fire Emblem 6 first in the import corner, actually. Then we'll go with the SNES games. Because you're kind of alone there, I believe. Well, Fire Emblem 6, half of the fun for somebody who has played Fire Emblem 7 is seeing where the character relationships of all these people you know from that game come to fruition now. You get or to no. see the son of Kanas. You get to see Hugh, and he's a money-grubbing jerk who will charge you a lot of money if you want to have him join your team. Or you can try and wheedle him down, and his stats will go down each time you reject his offer. And I used to... That's fine. There's better mages. I actually used him a fair amount and found he's a mage who had really high defense for me. When when I would finish the game, he had 17 defense for a mage that's idiotic. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's not like you're hurting for a mage at that point anyway. Um, no. Hugh and um, Linali are both. Yes, I used Lena for the most part. She's Hector's daughter. And her stats were... Pretty mediocre for me. I had to feed her a couple of angel ropes so that her hit points wouldn't just suck out loud. But she has 75% magic growth, so she will max that no matter how bad the RNG is. And for dealing with certain enemies that have low resistance, and almost all of them in this game do, she's perfect. But then we have Roy, the son of Elliwood. And Roy, he has an incredibly late promotion, which doesn't help. And until he promotes, you're pretty much stuck babysitting him because you need him in every battle to conquer the throne. There are no protect anything missions. There are no survive a certain number of turns. You always have to conquer the throne. And aside from having a rapier, which is good against a few enemies, Roy is not going to help you much. Although once he does promote at the very end of the game and gets the Sword of Seals, suddenly... His stat gains turned it awesome for me. I can't explain it. He was sucky before promotion. He had, I think I had one level where he gained more than two stats. And suddenly he was gaining five and six stats all over the place after promotion, plus the Sword of Seals might be the best weapon in all of the Game Boy games and possibly even more of them because it's ranged. It is strong against almost everything. And it has 20 uses. Yes, but if you if you haven't used the hammer on anything, then you should be set for a while. Yeah, the hammer does help. Uh, and you get Marcus as an old man, and yes, he sucks more than he did as a middle-aged man. Don't use Marcus. You get the children of Pent and Louise. Uh, Clarine is a pretty good troubadour. I She didn't suffer from with magic for me, so she was awesome. And their son, Klein, is... Yeah, he's all right for a sniper. I didn't yeah, know much, though. Yeah, like his mother, he's a premium mode, so it's not exactly a standard tradition to use him. I used him a little bit. He 
didn't disappoint, but didn't thrill me either. Yeah. Other characters, let's see. You get Carol back for one all of one level, and he's pretty damn good for a sword master, I have to say. Yeah. And he, if you can get him a level, he has the best gains in Fire Emblem history. All of his stats have over 100% odds to gain a stat. But he's at level 19 promoted. Too bad. Yeah. Um, but interesting little thing with this game, kind of the is like the most important thing to know when you're going in is um, you'll have to earn your good characters in this game. I'm pretty much the exception is really Deke. Um, because if the game hands you a character, pro tip, they're kind of sucky. <laughs> now, the exception is that they hand you a character that's ridiculously underleveled. The more underleveled they are, the more likely they are actually being really good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sue and Shin are – Sue is the daughter of Wrath. Shin, I think, is just another Friend. nomadic trooper. But yeah. both of them uh, – Sue starts at level <laughs> one. Shin starts at level five. They both turned out awesome for me. I know Sue only has 30% strength growth, but she maxed the stat for me, and she had awesome stats all over the place. And Shin was just about as good, I, I think even better. So that duo was great. But, of course, since they started at low levels, they needed some work. Yes, and it's, uh, you have to do that for way too many characters. Um, like, I'm just looking at the list. Uh, uh, what's her Milady, Mirady, whatever, however you pronounce yeah, her name. No, uh, Lady, I think it was my fan uh, There's Fear, the sword lady, Fear. There's um, OJ, the... Um, you could translate it either way. Uh, She's OJ. the daughter of Bartray, either way. Yeah, um, OJ the um, mercenary. Though luckily, again, I said Deke is you know a fine substitute, um, and that's actually a good thing because um, I think I mentioned I've only let one character really die on my watch, and it was OJ. That chapter eight where you first get um, you know OJ and Wendy and um, Lilina, that chapter was just plain ridiculous for me, and uh, I pretty much just eventually had to accept this is the farthest I've ever gone this dumb map i'm pretty much about to ready to win oh well i'm sorry oj you're not worth it this yeah. uh, that is the thing to say um this is one this, i think this is usually considered you know of uh, the you know more modern fire emblems in the top three difficulty it's certainly it's noticeably harder than the first english one but not prohibitively so most of the difficulty for me came from there are a lot more sword masters and berserkers running around, and you need to be really careful because a critical from a berserker is not going to feel good. Yeah. Um, another and a couple of is, bosses naturally are berserkers, so you have to be very careful with that. I found out the hard way once. Yeah. The other thing that makes it, another little uh, difficulty, you know, little, you know, kind of a curve throw with this one is, uh, particularly with the dragon knights later on, those enemy recruits are going to attack immediately. You don't get any chance to really defend or, you know, mm-hmm. put yourself in a good, better position. So, I mean, yeah. you pretty much have to spend every turn setting up some kind of defensive blockade towards the end because they will just appear and run you over. Now, Cassandra, you remember Zephiel in the English one, right? Mm-hmm. You remember him, Nathan? And not as well. He's the little kid you're protecting in one Fog of War mission from Ursula, but... The story of this game is 20 years after that game, Zephiel has grown up to be one very unhappy man, probably because of how nasty his father was, as you saw in that game. 
and he takes out his anger at the human race by trying to essentially kill everyone and bring dragons back to take over the world. Not just dragons. Emo- if I remember correctly, I read the story. Emotionless, dr- like emotionless dragon uh, drones or something created by a demon dragon of some sort. Yeah, these are emotions are a problem. These are more like Mur in or Tiki than the dragon you fight at the end of Fire Emblem Seven, which is good. If you had to fight more than one of those, it would be very unpleasant. But seeing Zephiel, and he's not an enemy to take lightly. He's got really good stats and a weapon. Yes, he has a weapon that will not break, and has and is ranged and will rip to shreds many people. Uh-huh. It's honestly, it part. It. I mean, I'm if that was there's a way to make it playable. It. You know, there actually there is a way to make it playable in the post game, but. Uh, Another thing, another thing that makes this one a little harder is there's a limit to the number of support points you can gain per chapter. So just hanging around and ending the turn repeatedly will not get you very far because the game will just stop accruing support points and then you have to finish up the chapter. At the same time, at least the um, you know as sucky as um, Roy is, at least they did one nice thing with him um, with the um, support system. It requires no effort to get um, Roy and Lilina to be you know a rank. And that's very useful since they benefit each other um, fairly well from, you know, their support. Yes, Lilina, her magic is awesome. Some of her other stats are okay, but her skill often needs a boost, and Roy will give that to her. Yes. Plus, being because, um, her will help Roy, who needs the help, let's face it. And, you know, made even better because, I mean, Roy's not going to be on the front lines for the second half of the game until you promote <laughs> him. So it um, actually is very easy for him to be pretty much hanging out near um, Lilina in the back, you know, row kind of thing. Another thing different about this one is that unless you get every side chapter, you're not going to see the true end of the game. You'll find you'll face off against Zephiel and then hear some excuse about why you can't go on because you get a legendary weapon with each side story, and unless you have all of them, you can't go to the true against end of the game. Indeed. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't only like playing these games kind of, you know, once in a complete playthrough as best I can, um, because they're just so time-consuming and real soul-crushing sometimes. Yep. So, I mean, I, you know, stopped open the guys to make sure I'm not missing any kind of, you know, major secret. So I did make sure I got the um, storyline with the Dean. It, it wasn't easy, but I got the storyline with the Dean, but that was one of the most pathetic final bosses in the series. <laughs> huh. Well... Roy can one shot kill her. Wow. Partially because the Sword of Seals is super strong against dragons. That helps. The other is that Dean's really not trying. Right. That's part of the plot. But it comes after a battle in which you face nothing but uh, manakee enemies. Yeah. Which is very useful because um, I use that um, chapter, you know, I use that chapter to really train up. you know, Roy to make him really useful because yeah. I mean, you still need to get a some training into him before you go against Zephyr, and it's also very useful um, to get a couple of kills off with uh, what, what was it, Faye? Faye, you're a dumb manakee. Yep. Because Faye, uh, again, this is another issue with the game is um, much as the annoyance of uh, the sword seals being like twenty uses, <sighs> Faye's stone thirty. It's thirty. Plus, she has 20 levels to gain. (laughs) And and yeah, she has awesome levels, but unless she's gained pretty much all of them, 
then particularly her speed is going to let her down and she'll get doubled by things. Uh, yeah, it was, it was nice because um, the fan is call, the fan base calls her Fazilla. <laughs> I mean, she is ridiculously powerful. Um, you know, if you actually figure out a way to really maneuver things. The other issue is I can't remember if Mir has this. I think with Mir you can use the herm no her no you know the hammer on her, but there's really no way to you know really restore that three um you know use stone. Yeah. And I don't remember how I I can't remember if there's really another you know alternative to Faye kind of like you have with Tiki. Um, so I don't remember, but it is ridiculously hard to make Faye useful, but. Um, I, are you required to take her to that final battle? Yeah, you have to have her in the final battle. Yeah, so, I mean, it, that makes him kind of worse. But luckily, you know, teaming her up with Roy for that final battle is pretty easy to take down the dragons and really give her some great experience. Well, she is strong against dragons, so if you can get her the first strike, she'll probably kill it. Yeah. And let's see, you cannot promote thieves into assassins in this game, which is... A shame, because Chad would have been amazing. His growths weren't amazing for me, but maybe that's because I was purposefully not giving him too much experience since I knew if he got to level 20, it would be a waste. Oh, Larry, I still got him to level 20 anyway because, you know, you're going to use him in some higher level map, so it's nice if he can at least, at least survive. I mean, he was like, he's not going to kill anyone by that point except it's like a major um, an archer, but at least at that point he'll at least be able to, you know, kind of take some damage. Chad, though, Chad had the potential to be one of the best assassins in the series if they let him. Too bad. Yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, I, I think See, the fan base... You mentioned Lou and uh, his brother... Um, well, what's his brother's name? Um, his they're, both the, they're both the children of Nino, in, incidentally. Nino and most likely Jafar. Which means that Nino died at a very young age, because she was only 14 in that game, so she died around 30. That's pretty sad. Yeah. Probably less. She probably died in her late 20s. Um... Yeah, Let's see, I you get Bartray back. Oh, Lou and Ray, that's right, Lou and Ray. They're Both yeah. very useful um, mages. Lou being um, a very good speed and skill-based mage, um, Ray being um, um, you know, kind of more the same, kind of like that, with dark magic, which is very rare. Um, the only other dark mage you can really get with Sophia, who's also very good, but by that point... She's, she's at level one, and you get her... Uh, what was it, chapter 14 or so out of 25 if you go to the end. So yeah. you're going to have to work really hard. I mean, again, it's one of those things where, you know, the level ones are worth it. But uh, at that point, I was like, I'm sorry, Sophia. You, unless you're like, unless you just blow things up with your mind kind of thing, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine with Ray. But yeah, Fire Emblem 6 is very much like Fire Emblem 7 with a few things that are different. Oh yeah, one one thing that bothered me was you can't use an item outside of battle, which you could in the later ones. You could do it during prep stage, but you can't in this one, which is sad. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you've played Fire Emblem 7, this will seem very familiar to you. You won't have a problem acclimating. Yeah, and um, this is probably one of the easiest Fire Emblems to find, you know, online translation passes for online. But if and you want the original cartridge, it's going to get interesting. I had to pay over 50 bucks for mine. Wow. Yeah. But um, again, if I had the original cartridge, fancy that. It's a portable game. And if I play the ROM, it's not. True enough. Yes, yes it is. But um, it's more if you want to be able to it's more easily understand it or not. 
and the translation is a perfectly fine translation. Mm-hmm. They uh, base it off the uh, North American translation for the most part, which is nice because uh, a consistency. Yeah, it's consistency. Um, you don't usually get that from fan groups. I mean, the only thing they really weren't inconsistent was uh, just the one tick where they named Elena sister class instead of cleric. That's it. All right. Now we go back to the Super Nintendo years. Monstro no Nazo was half a remake of the original game while leaving out a few levels and half a sequel to it, picking up a few years, a couple years later with Marth mysteriously needing to gather all the people again in order to fight this mysterious menace in the form of Hardin, who was your ally but had almost no lines in the first game. But here, he looks very, very different. He looks very, very evil. And in one particular battle, he will chase after you after a few turns, and he has maxed stats and a powerful weapon, and if you try to fight him, you are dead. But Fire Emblem 3, to play it now it feels really antiquated. The weapons triangle didn't exist for this, so that may, that really leaves Axe users out in the cold, particularly since they can't promote. That really hurts them. And you need to do a lot of your own math, which is the, which is the truth for most of the Super Nintendo ones, but it's really annoying here when you just get a basic display of, all right, there's my attack, there's the enemy's defense, let me figure out what damage I'm going to do. And the the final battle for this was just obnoxious. You have to... It's a three-stage final battle. The first stage deals with a never-ending army of dragons that come after you. The second part has Garnif. There he is. And again, you can only beat him with, star, with uh, Starlight. But it gets better. Because he's in the middle of a gigantic platform with a one-tile path leading to it. While on separate paths that you can't reach are mages with long-range stuff. And, of course, he'll eventually come out at you instead of letting you just build, just throw your star light user at him. And I got unlucky. Linda somehow, Linda was killed, and she was using starlight, but she had somehow managed to critical him first. This was another enemy that killed her, so that was insanely lucky on my part. And then the third part, Medius is back, but he's surrounded by these horrible, horrible disappearing dragons in the ground that will not stay there to fight you. They will just randomly appear around him, attack you, and then disappear again on the enemy phase. That was obnoxious. So, part two of... Marth's story, I would say, is definitely harder than the first part. And most of the characters are the same. There are a few new ones added, but most of them are the same, except well, they lost all their levels, so you've got to grow them again. It's not a bad game. It just feels really antiquated to play it now. Fire Emblem 4, Seisen no Keifu. Now, that's where the weapons triangle was introduced, and this is actually an excellent game if it ever gets remade i highly recommend it uh because there are a lot of things different about it first of all there are a lot of weird classes pegasus knights can use healing staves in this once they promote uh mages can use swords the dancers who bring can not only revive four people everyone standing alongside them but they can also use swords they're they're still pretty weak but 
that's interesting. And the battles are different in this game. You only have a total of 12 battlefields, but they're huge. The first battle is the size of most later battlefields in other games. And after that, they turn into monstrous battlefields where you have to conquer a single castle and then enemies will appear all over the map somewhere else and big story event will happen. And the last castle you conquer on a map will become the base you start the next battle from. And you don't need items to promote in this. Once you hit level 20, you can just do it in the base. It's and there are, there's even more goofiness. The general can use not only spears and axes, but swords and and bows in this, covering pretty much everything. It's an and it's fun because of the gigantic battlefields. You can save at the beginning of every turn, and you'll need it because these things take hours to get through. In the arena. You don't die if you lose. You get reduced to one hit point, but you can just feel free to go to town until you can't do it anymore. There's a limit on the number of times you can use the arena for each character. Uh, The music, each battle has a different theme, and I think they're all, at the very least, pleasant, and some of them are awesome. Uh, The story is interesting. This is the one in which you start with Sigurd, who is a mounted lord at the beginning of the game, which already makes him unique. And he's good. You want to use Sigurd. That's unusual again. But halfway through the game, almost everyone on your team will be caught in a trap and killed. And then you pick up a good 18, 19 years later with Celis, his son, who is not mounted until he promotes, sadly. But the second half of the game features you taking control of the children of the first generation. For the most part, there are a few people who are there regardless. And those children, you can help determine. If you stand a man and a woman next to each other long enough, they'll pair up. And the women will always have the same children, but the father determines some of the skills the kids will have. And particularly if you pair off do the thief with a woman, then that means both of his kids will be able to steal, and that's a nifty feature. There are some clunky things about it. Character items cannot be... Are, no, character money is individual. Every character has a different amount of money, and that's odd. Also, some of the skills are not very well balanced. In particular, if you don't have a certain skill, then you can't double attack an enemy, no matter how great the speed advantage is. So that can be bothersome. But the shortcomings for this are pretty easy to look around, and I know there's a mostly complete translation out there, but even without that, this is definitely worth playing just because it's so different and so well done. I have nothing but fond memories of this game. And so I'm having a hard time getting into it. I can't, I've tried the first stage like two times now. Well, I certainly hope there is a remake of this. It sounds pretty cool. And it also sounds like like a lot of the, uh, some of the mechanics that I kind of find quote-unquote advanced in the console versions actually started here. <laughs> Skills. Yeah, a lot of them did. Yeah, Alencia being like Alencia is the only flying, pe- you know, Pegasus knight, but <laughs> played with with a staff. But yeah, apparently they had it in that game. The idea of uh, the uh, generals being able to use swords, staffs, that, being able to use swords as well as uh, spears. What else was there? Oh yeah, the uh, well, the mages could use knives in in Path of Radiance. It was kind of pointless. You almost you if you when you promote a, a mage to a sage, you'll want them to almost always use the staff, but. Still, that sounds pretty interesting that it actually started there. 
Also, the kids tended to have a blend of their parents' growth rates and all stats, which means that you have the potential to create a pretty much unstoppable army. Although, some of the final bosses are still pretty damn tough. Uh, yeah, I think I've read about the enemy class called the Duke, which is basically, uh, what I can understand, basically, what the um, the awful thing if you ever fused a sage and a general together. That would be the final ba- battle in stage 10. Or stage 1 is actually the prologue, so stage 10 is the 11th stage, and stage 12 is the epilogue, even though it's enormous. But... Yes, that guy has max stats and a weapon that will deal, uh, I think, 37 damage. And he's, again, he's got good stats, so he might double you, and he hurts. And the other bosses in the epilogue are just like him, and Urius, the final boss, is just a jerk. Although I remember getting lucky against him. But again, this, this is just... Different in a good way. If you only know the modern Fire Elements, this is going to feel very strange, but also very welcoming. At least it did to me. Certainly more so than Thracia 776, the fifth game, which was released in 1999 on the Super Nintendo. How did they get away with that? Uh, <laughs> I've heard you. Yeah, there was a system, I gather, way. where you could write... A, bl- a blank cartridge with uh, any given game in Japanese game shops, and this is one of the options you suddenly have the ability to do very late. And that's how most of the copies were originally made, written on the blank cartridges. The official retail release, as you can guess, for something that came out in that era, is very expensive. If you want it, you're looking at $100 or more. Yeah, I, I'm mostly just convinced that... Uh... I mean, if you actually look at it, Intelligent Systems pretty much did not touch the N64, you know, in any officially released a game. I think I heard somewhere... And that's sad. The N64 could have used an RPG, I think. Well, the issue is... is I think the issue is... um, Basically, I mean, what I think the issue came down to is um, programming is... It's not like they didn't try... Um, there's a lot of hints um, about lots of um, you know aspects, particularly the Final Six were originally you know kind of inspired by their you know failed prototype for the uh, Fire Emblem. Yeah, NC4. I was, was going to bring that up. That there seems to be some evidence that there was going to be a Fire Emblem in '64, but it just never came to pass. And it, it makes sure it makes sense. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't remember uh, the the space issue is part of what came down. There's probably no way to fit, particularly, you know, coming off to, you know, the uh, Trace 3776 and, uh, you know, uh, the genealogy of the Holy War. Having that many, having that complex of a system, such, you know, epic scales to it, it probably wouldn't fit on that cartridge. All I can say is the N64 could have used anything to improve its RPG library. Well, that's the reason I think many RPGs pick fit up here. It's just wasn't viable for a space issue. Maybe it suffered the same fate as the mother game that was going to be on N64. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that, again, that's more of an issue. It didn't fit, so, well, crap. <laughs> and they eventually just kind of found a way to use what resources they did have and kind of restart over on the on the GBA. Okay, let me, Thracia 776, let me tick off the good points that could be improved upon in a later game. The setting is interesting because it takes place 
between the generations of the fourth game, about a year before, which means that you're taking control of Leaf, who actually turned into something awesome at the end of the fourth game, and he's not awesome yet in this game. But Another interesting system is that even if you don't get to counterattack an enemy or don't do any damage, you'll still get the same amount of experience you would if you had done that. So that could be useful. Instead of getting one experience point, you get ten for just having an enemy shoot at you. And the capturing mechanic is, again, interesting. It works very much like attacking an enemy, only all of your stats go down by half when you do it. But if you pull it off, then you grab that enemy, and it's it's like rescuing a character in a later game where you hold on to that enemy for a while and then you choose to let go. Except you get the chance to pillage its inventory, so you get to take everything you want off that enemy and then let it go to die. But you need to capture. And again, your stats go down by half when you do capturing, so that makes things very iffy if you do it. Because you never get any money in this game. You only get money if you capture things and sell them, or if you go to the arena. Ouch. And this is the first game that brings up Fog of War. Except in the later games, it's like an actual fog. In this game, it's like a starless night with no moon. You see the area around your characters and everything else is jet black. So you have no idea what the landscape is. Let's see how many more ways can... Oh, yes. Accuracy. You know how it's good to see 0 or 100% odds for an attack in other games? You'll never see that here. Enemies always have at least 1% chance to hit you, and you never have more than 99% chance to hit them. Ah, how many more ways can I count it? The fatigue system. Yes, this is an innovation that, if it comes back, needs to be significantly revamped. It works like this. Once you've gotten to the point where the battle preparation menu appears, every time a character takes an attack or does anything that involves the enemy acting on the field, fatigue goes up by one. If fatigue exceeds your character's hit points, you cannot use that character in the next battle. And what's great about that is, suppose you needed that character in the next battle. Too bad. You're screwed. Now, here's another one that's unique to Thracia 776. There are a lot of missions in which you have to escape from onrushing enemies. Here's the thing. Unless you have every character escape ahead of Leaf, the ones who, leave, the ones who are left behind will not join you again. They are captured. So you must make sure that Leaf escapes last, or you're going to find yourself very short of people. And there are a lot of maps like that. Also, castles don't offer plus three defense in this. They offer plus ten. You're going to have a fun time beating down the bosses in this. Uh, There is a nice thing. Thieves can steal anything that their build allows them to, and characters actually grow grow in build. They have a chance to. But, again, uh, thieves are hardly less fragile in this game, and the enemy will go after them a lot, and it's very dangerous to use thieves for a whole lot of that. And status ailments. 
they don't go away in this game. If you get poisoned, you stay that way the whole battle. If you get berserked, I assume, I haven't seen that yet, you stay that way the whole battle. Doesn't that sound fun? Loads. <laughs> it sounds like whoever was in charge of designing this one just wants to see how many people he can gum legally kicking the balls. <laughs> Yeah, I guarantee you will utter much profanity while playing this. What have I forgotten? Because there are so many joys to Thracy 776 that after playing other games, you'll appreciate them far more. Oh, yes, the side chapters. One in particular I did not get because you have to capture the boss in order to do that. And again, the boss is on a castle with plus 10, and in order to get him, your stats get cut in half. But if you don't capture that boss, you can't get the side chapter where a couple of characters will rejoin you. If you don't get that side chapter, they never come back. And this is mandatory, too, because after, I think, four chapters it was, uh, you, your whole army gets captured, and most of them you have to see rejoin you later. So you need to get the battles in which they rejoin you. If you don't, too bad. Oh, and Ballista in this game, they have ten shots instead of five. And particularly when they have pretty good accuracy, if you're not on a hill or something to deflect that, then you're looking at 50-60% chance of hitting. That's not good. Uh, yeah, I, I'm having trouble coming up with things that are actually pleasant about this game instead of good ideas wrongfully executed. So buying the cartridge is not something I would recommend. Now, of course, there is the ROM way, which some people do. And maybe that's why people seem to like this game, because, yes, if you if you never want to be able to take it easy, if you always want to have to say, is somebody going to die this turn because I can't prevent it? then this is your game. And yes, some people like that. More power to them. I'm not one of them. I don't know if I'd say more power to them. They've been, been annoying on our boards before. <laughs> Do you remember, um, what was it? Operation Darkness. I uh, remember that spawned a certain forum or two whack rhapsodic about it. <clears throat> Yeah, um, so I mean, it's not like I have anything against people that enjoy these games, but anyone that says, you know, it's normal to be able to beat this game on hard mode is wrong. <laughs> Objectively wrong. Uh, what else is there? Yeah, honestly, 3AC776 is for the masochists in the crowd. And my masochism level, even at its highest, does not tolerate this for long. Yes, yeah. I get to review it. I, I don't know if I can actually complete it. There's apparently a map eventually where an enemy who will stay on the map for a good 70 turns until he runs away just by his presence ups enemy hit and evasion by about 40% on everything. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, I, I really do want to know who designed this game because I'm just going to run out of it fired. <laughs> and that leaves one other game, the remake of the second half of Moncho Nanazo, which we haven't yet seen in English, and we the odds are looking dim. But I can report it if need be. 
Uh, DS right. is region free. And since it's fairly recent, I haven't too much to say about it. But it exists, and Nintendo has not yet seen fit to grant it to us greedy fans outside of Japan, sadly. Well, they haven't been, sent, they haven't been you know, very fit on releasing as any JRPGs they made in the last two um, last year. I mean, no. they've got they've got quite a few little interesting gems on hand that I'm starting to wonder if we're really actually going to get. I'll be cautiously optimistic for at least another year or so. I'd like to, but um, as the as we build up to the Wii U, I can only become more and more scared. We'll never see um, Xenoblade or the Last Story. At well. least Xenoblade, at least Xenoblade will have an English translation, even though it'll probably take a bit of work to get a Wii to play that English uh, North American Wii to play that. <laughs> yeah, it's really the last story that bothers me because um, Sakaguchi he kept up an English translation, you know, kind of blog to the game. So it's obviously in the back of his mind expected North America to get it. So I really don't know what um, sour relationships are going on right now. It's pissing me off. Mm. Again, we'll just have to wait and see. It's not yeah, necessarily a, it's, there's still a chance. Although I'm more interested in Xenoblade myself. Mm. Looks a lot more, be- looks a lot, a lot more awesome. Okay. Import corner done. There was a lot to talk about this time. Oh, no, it's, it helps when it's not just you. It does. Although, yeah, never mind. We're done. We take a little break now, and then we come back to conclude things, which have definitely become one of our epic casts. Okay, Nathan and Anna both had to cut out. They were just getting tired. But Cassandra, Charles, thanks for being here. It would have been very, very bad if I had to do this alone. Anything either of you would like to say in closing? Let's see. Um, Nintendo America released the next Fire Emblem game. Meanwhile, Nintendo Japan, I, I would like to see a remake of the fourth Fire Emblem game. I'd also like to see a new Fire Emblem game. So... Don't disappoint in the near future, please. All everyone involved. This is one of my favorite series and probably the only tactical game I can actually play with um, and get some satisfaction out of. 
I'd like to see the um, series keep moving forward and not kind of just petter out. Cassandra? Uh, well, I fully agree with uh, Charles and uh, Alex. <laughs> and if I, well, it just kind of, this is so much, just sort of like a question slash jab at the fans of the game, but I'm kind of annoyed at the fact that, you know, the uh, remake of the first Fire Emblem and the remake of the third one are, con- are, are you know, nicknamed as Fi- Fire Emblem 11 and 12. I mean, I know they're just fan names, not their official names, but they're remakes. They shouldn't be numbered. If, you know, if Final Fantasy's numbered include the remakes, Final Fantasy 13 would be like Final Fantasy 31 or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's silly in my mind. I know it's just a fan name, but it's still silly. I'm not going to disagree. And yeah, all I'll all I will say is that the Sacred Stones was released after the DS had been introduced, so there is a slight precedent of Nintendo continuing to release RPGs after its next handheld system has been introduced. I don't know if that'll happen, but it's not impossible. Yeah, I'm still holding out for Luminous Arc Three, so. <laughs> I don't think Nintendo is going to be releasing that. I know, I'm just saying, just for, you know, games late on the <laughs> on the DS. And I am not going to do a monster closing because Phil, due to the evil scum that is the Trojan horse virus, has not been with us. So you've been hearing a lot more of me than you normally would bumping things along. You don't need to hear me close things out. You know, you can more or less guess what I would say. It would have a whole lot of puns with death. This has been Dying is Easy and... Hopefully, everyone enjoyed it. The the standard procedure is to go and do a review on iTunes or just check out all the other stuff on the site. And yes, I recommend you do that because RP Gamer is not a one-trick pony. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you.